Hoops Journey will give you a minute or so to go grab your favorite beverage or bag of chips. And uh, before you tune into this episode and we and we break it down because we feel like this one is going to be action-packed with great stories. Uh, one of the greatest Canadian basketball players we've ever produced, a man who um, many speak highly of, have never had the opportunity to chat with, but do tonight, and, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, former Husky, uh, former NBA player, former national team member, proud, uh, what is, what do we call it? A Manitobian, friendly Manitoban. Um, not quite sure how to pronounce the name, but he'll let us know. We are super, super excited to have Todd McCulloch on tonight. How are you, Mr. McCullough? I just used both of them. I'm uh, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be a guest on your show, and uh, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to rock and roll. So thanks for this. Thanks for this opportunity. Absolutely. You, I mean, when Corbin and I started this venture, we kind of created our own sort of dream list, and you know, of people that we thought would have great stories, but also you know, great personalities. And um, I was super excited when we were able to connect uh, a couple weeks ago, and you were willing to be on. Um, I know sometimes this sort of platform isn't for everyone, and I respect that. But uh, I do think that you have lots of great things to tell us about, and and lots of insight, and and some cool stuff. Being someone from Manitoba as well, and your own sort of personal adventure. Um, but how have things been for you guys? You know, you're you're living just down south across the border, and um, how what's you know pandemic life been for you and your family, and and how's everyone doing these days? I I can't really uh, I can't really complain. You know, we're we've got uh, food on the table, and the the kids are uh, healthy and safe, and uh, you know the community at large here is is being uh, quite responsible in their social distancing and, and mask wearing and all those other things. So we've uh, sort of, you know, kept the rates pretty low in, in this, uh, in this County. Um, and so we're just kind of just laying low and, and spend a lot of time together as a family, which is, which is good. And so we've been, uh, you know, getting to know each other better. And, you know, uh, sometimes it'll be my choice for movies. Sometimes my wife, sometimes my son, sometimes my daughter. So, uh, when it's my son and I at star Wars or Marvel, and then it was my wife and daughter, it's, you know, maybe some romantic comedies or other things. So we're, we're, we're learning about each other's movie tastes, but we're, yeah, we're, uh, we're we're in it together, and I, I like to uh, I like to play pinball with uh, with my son. He, he takes a flipper, I take a flipper, and so it's something that we uh, something we like to do together. And I'm enjoying passing on that pastime to to him. How's his game? Is he starting to catch up to you, or are you still uh, mopping the floor? Yeah, with him? yeah he's. Um, I mean, we don't we t- we don't really compete directly, which is probably probably okay. good. I mean, there's a lot of you know yeah. frustration. Um, you know, it's a da- <laughs> it's a dangerous game, and gravity always wins, and inevitably, you know, the machine always wins. So that can that can lead to door slamming and some frustration. So we try and play uh, together and compete together against the machine, and so we're we're working on you know how to win and how to lose and. Uh, but he's, you know, he, he sees what I, what I do with the right flipper and he's, he's emulating stuff. So the things that he's doing, I mean, I probably started playing when I was his age at 10 and some of the, the flipper tricks that he's doing now are st- stuff that I only felt comfortable doing a couple of years ago, probably in my early forties. So he's, he's way ahead of the curve in terms of his age. And so I think if he keeps going and we can get some tournaments going again, I think he would do very well on the, on the national level. And so I don't think he, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, 
I didn't believe, you know, in basketball that I was as good as the coaches could see. They could see the potential in me, and I didn't believe it. And, you know, he doesn't think he's good at pinball, and I'm trying to get it through his head that he's he's doing really cool stuff, and he should believe me that I'm telling the truth that he's really good. So we're, we're just working on, uh, you know, how to take compliments and uh, that I'm sincere, and I'm not just saying this stuff because I'm, I'm his dad. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I love it. And for those that are, you know, four, four minutes in and they're listening to you talk about pinball and you can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about it for those that are unaware uh talk about how that what what that part of your life is i know that's towards the end of the show but i mean like <laughs> i'm i'm surprised that, that it took me four minutes to talk about it so i usually i usually lead with it it's just uh it's a big a big part of my life and uh it's just something that i've done since i was a kid any any free moment that i had when i wasn't in practice or at a game or in school um i would be in an arcade or a 7-eleven or a bowling alley or a roller skating rink or wherever and if there was pinball and i had a couple of quarters i was playing it and uh, started collecting 20 years ago and then found out about uh you know tournaments and things maybe six or seven years after that so i've been playing in tournaments for close to 15 years and just working on my game and it's just uh it's something that I, I don't, I don't know what it is or something about the the game that, that draws me to it. And it's, it's very physical and tactile. It's a world under glass. And I mean, we could, I could talk to you for a couple hours just on uh, my love of the game. And there's, there's a certain faction of the population that feels the, the same way. And I, take it upon myself to try and convert everyone else that's not into it. And I joke that I give them an STPD, a socially transmitted pinball disease. Uh, it's incurable, <laughs> makes people stupid, uh, socially transmitted, uh, uncurable, I found is not a word, but I'll go with uncurable pinball infectious disease. So hopefully I, I, you guys get bit with the bug. I told you when you come down here, when the border opens, I want to, I want to show you around the game room and see if I can get you hooked on, uh, on pinball and just do my part. So that's, that's my mission. There we go. So what happens when I get hooked and my wife likes me less than she already does? Like what? That, that, can I use a... you as the reference? <laughs> you can you can blame me. Yeah, I've apologized to uh, to many uh, spouses on behalf. Like I'm sorry that I got your you know significant other into this because they uh, the games multiply. They're like rabbits. They they get together and then there's another pinball machine and another, and then you run out of room or money or one or the other. And then, um, yeah, so it's, uh, they, they just, they just, they, they're like a cell. They just start dividing, but they're a lot of, they're a lot of fun. So, so yeah, I want, cool. uh, I want you to get hooked and bring a game home to your kids. It's good, good family fun. And it's, it's physics and motion and angles and it's math. So that's, you can, you can be a teaching tool for you. There we go. That's, I knew you'd, I knew you'd find something. Thank you. Yeah. There's, um, there's an angle there. To that day. Hey, uh, we're gonna have a good time for sure. So where where is that where's that Roberts place you were talking about? So we're just in Birch Bay. So it's just across the border. It's like I don't know, fifteen minutes past Blaine. So okay, so you'll yeah you'll have a little bit of a, a, a journey to get to me, but it'll be worth it. You'll have to take planes, trains, and a ferry, and a taxi, and an Uber, and uh, but we'll we'll get you here, and you won't you won't regret it. You, Johnny Johnny Lee's been over here, and Coach Trano's been over here, and then Mavis and Garashi, uh, they're going to get together and come on down when the border opens up. So we're going to have a we're going to have a fun old shindig. Let's uh, let's jump into it, man. Uh, I spent, I'm not sure if you know, I, I was a former branded Bobcat, so I spent uh, four Brandon. and a half years in, in, yes. Oh, wow. Um, Beautiful Brandon. Yeah. The jewel, the yes. jewel of Manitoba. <laughs> so, it's so flat out there. You, you, 
You, you can watch your dog <laughs> run away for three days. <laughs> that's that's stolen from uh, an, the yeah, old Maple Leafs freeze, coach, yeah. I think. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful <laughs> place. Love Brandon. Yes, very beautiful. But uh, did get involved when I was done and doing my my teaching practicum coaching. So I coached at Crocus Plains for a couple of years and made it down to the peg for some games and things like that. And know that's kind of where things started for you. So just talk about that. What was it? What was life like for you as a, as a little guy and and uh, growing up? And how did sports sort of become part of your life? And 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 where did it go from there? Uh. Well, it's just, uh, as you know, as a Canadian, you have to play hockey at some point. If you can stand, you can skate. And so started uh, started playing hockey at, at four. And my dad was my coach, I think, when I was five and uh, played, at a, played at a high level. And I think we played for the Twins and uh, maybe the, the top division in Winnipeg for that age group at 11, 12. And we won the cities. And then if you win cities to win provincials, all you got to do is go beat Brandon. And that's easier to do than uh, winning the Winnipeg City. So we went and, uh, and beat whoever was representing Brandon, became provincial champs. Uh, and then at, I think, 12, I was going to turn 12. And that's when I heard that body checking started. And even though I was the biggest guy, I was the scaredest guy. I didn't want to hit people. I didn't want to get hit. I knew everyone would want to kill me because I was the big guy, but I was not tough. And everyone else on my team is like, I can't wait to crush people and body check them. And I'm like, I don't want to hit anybody. And I, I know people want to kill me. So I'm going to quit hockey. So I gave it up. I think we had 80 games and 80 practices as an 11 and 12 year old. I said, I'm not ready to be a professional. So I'm going to go uh, play sports that aren't so nuts like basketball and badminton and volleyball and soccer and do everything that wasn't just quite so serious as hockey uh, at that level. And, um, my line mate was uh, Jason Botterill, and he went made it to the NHL. And uh, uh, there are a couple guys from my league, maybe maybe three or four guys from our division that ended up going to the uh, to the NHL. And then I just played some soccer and played some you know volleyball and everything else. And uh, and basketball was just one of the things that I that I did. I had some some friends that were into basketball, and I wanted to be with them all the time. And it was basketball season, and so just being an athlete and being coordinated. Uh, basketball kind of lent itself and I had uh, sort of instant success with height and, and footwork and, you know, I guess coordination from uh, playing hockey and my, my fourth grade teacher was an excellent juggler. So he taught the whole school how to juggle during juggling club. So that probably helped my hand-eye coordination. Uh, so I, I would, you know, play all the sports, but then, um, you get to high school and you kind of have to choose. So I think I played volleyball and basketball in uh, grade 10. And then I kind of, I felt like I had to make a choice. I guess I could have played both. Um, I had, uh, I was, I ended up playing on the provincial team that summer for basketball for Manitoba and had an invitation to try out for the provincial volleyball team. I don't know whether I would have made it or not, but I had to make a choice because that, that summer season was going inter, to intersect. And I thought, what, you know, I want, I like volleyball a lot. I like basketball a lot. What am I going to pick? Um, it seemed like in practice and volleyball, they made you dive on the floor. And that was a part of it. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to play a sport where you dive on the floor and you practice that. I don't want to be on the ground. So I'm going to stay on my feet and I'm going to choose basketball. And it turned out to be a, turned out to be a good call. So, uh, basketball was my focus and, um, just played that for, uh, 11 and 12. And, and, um, we had some success at Shaftesbury high school. We had a really good team and, uh, my buddy Paul Arsenault was our manager, was an amazing manager. And um, we, uh, I think we were 92 and 10. 
in, uh, in my career. I think we had one home loss. We were undefeated in, in grade 10. We were freshmen or we were not freshmen. We, yeah, we were, uh, you know, uh, um, JV, I guess, or um, I don't know what, what you call it. Uh, not varsity. I guess we were JV. And um, we went undefeated until the provincial championship against Crocus Plains of all teams. And you guys beat us by two. I think you had like two free throws with a few seconds left to, to seal the victory. And that was our only loss. And that one really stung. And then uh, a teammate of mine who was, who was uh, going to be a senior, who's going to be a, you know, grade 12, he came up to me and he's like, I'm glad you guys lost. I'm like, what do you mean you're glad that we lost? And he's like, cause when we win the provincials next year as varsity, then that's going to be good. And I said, all right, whatever. So we ended up uh, winning it the next year. We had uh, a six, eight dude named Murray Davidson. And uh, so we had the twin towers and we won the provincial championship 61 59. And I dropped 50 in the final. So I contributed a little bit to, to that game. And, um, <laughs> and that was kind of a dream come true to be provincial champions and to be the best in Manitoba. And I, I ran around like a chicken with my head cut off. Cause I could not believe that we were the winner, I guess, after coming so close the previous season. And you know, that was, that was grade 10, and then to be varsity uh, going up against the defending champs, Daniel McIntyre, that they had won the previous season. And, and uh, so I couldn't believe that the, it, it was over and we were up by uh, two points at the end. My, uh, my silly friend, Jeff Cron decided to foul their best player, Daryl Baptiste with a few seconds left in the game and fouled him on a three. And I, I was very upset with my friend, um, but fortunately Daryl missed two and we won. And then, um, and the rest is history. So, has your buddy admitted that he was just trying to cover the spread or? Uh, it probably was on the take, you know, come to think of it. I, there's no <laughs> other explanation why you foul their best player. You know, you're up by three and then you, it doesn't make it. I think he tripped. I think he tripped and fell. He's awkward and clumsy. Um, but you know, Daryl missed two out of three. So all is forgiven. <laughs> so during those high school years, like, you know, you, you're, record over those years was amazing did you guys get out of the province and go to some you know bigger tournaments when did the exposure for yourself um as an athlete start to to come and when were the letters coming in and when did you kind of think to yourself like wow i really want to not only am i you know cutting out volleyball and other sports but i really want to move on post-secondary wise so there's a lot of questions in one there but um i'm just assuming that you got a twin towers team like that you're not just playing in your own province you're getting out and, and competing against as many other you know, provinces as you can too. Uh, we were pretty much just, uh, in, in, uh, Winnipeg and in Manitoba. Really? Uh, we, we, re uh, yeah, uh, we, we repeated the next year. Uh, Murray Davidson had uh, graduated. So it was the single tower. Um, and we, <laughs> we, uh, repeated. Um, and then, so I think we went to North Dakota once for a tournament and I don't, I don't think we fared uh, too well against the U S competition. I don't think we played any other uh, provinces, nothing in Ontario. And I don't think we went to Saskatchewan. Um, my, my exposure on a more national or North American level was with the uh, provincial team in the summers with, uh, with the, the, uh, Manitoba provincial team. And we went down to, uh, Arizona to uh, go up against some, some, you know, great, great teams. And we got blown out by. 40 and 50. Uh, and I started to get some letters after that, that year. Um, I mean, our teams were getting dominated, so n none of us really, uh, stood out, but I started getting letters from North Dakota, North Dakota state, you know, just across the border and was learning that if I was going to play in the U S that I was going to need to take the SAT and try and get a, a, you know, qualifying test score. And, 
the next the next summer, I think maybe I guess it was maybe after my junior my junior year, grade eleven year. Um, I think I think our coaches talked to the the you know it was kind of an AAU summer tournament in Arizona. We went back and they kind of said, hey, we got we got really beat up last year. Can we bring an older team? Like, can we bring our under nineteen team and compete against uh, these you know US seventeen year olds that are maybe juniors in high school and sort of level the playing service? And they were fine with that. And so um, you know we had first year university students from the University of Manitoba, and I think I was maybe the only uh, kid on the team that was sort of eligible to be recruited by, by colleges. And so, uh, it was there that I got maybe uh, 60 or 70 letters and, uh, started getting, um, you know, I wasn't getting the, the Duke university and, um, you know, uh, Kentucky and some of those, uh, you know, blue chip ones. I wasn't getting those, but I was, I was getting, you know, good schools, uh, letters like, uh, Connecticut and Arizona and, and, uh, Pac-10 schools and, a lot of Notre Dame and Nebraska, some very good schools. And I just, I think the coaches were, they just held up my address and phone number to the scouts. And then they started calling my parents and I hadn't checked in all week. I was just being a stupid teenage kid who didn't check in. I get home and my parents had a, a poster board of all the schools that had contacted them and essentially, you know, offered a scholarship. And so I think my dad went to the library to research graduation records. And I think they told Connecticut it was too far and told UCLA, no, I'd probably get over-recruited and Arizona's too hot. And I think they'd narrowed down my choices uh, significantly, <laughs> which I was kind of okay with because I didn't know anything about college basketball really. And I couldn't manage, you know, 60 co coaches calling every week. And so we kind of narrowed it down to 10 and the final three were Nebraska, Notre Dame and Washington. Uh, and those are the three visits that I took. And just uh, as a Canadian, just felt most at home in, in Seattle, just felt like home, kind of felt like my people, uh, really liked the coach, really liked the, uh, the player that took me out on, uh, on my visit and the other players that I met. And it really just felt like home. And I, I was really not even, you know, in hindsight, I was probably picking a school for the, the right reasons in terms of where I felt most comfortable and where I thought I could thrive. Um, you know, was kind of oblivious to the fact that Washington, I think, was last in the Pac-10. They were five and twenty-three, I think, that that season. Um, and I, I think basketball, although it was important, I was looking for somewhere, you know, where I would feel at home. And fortunately, we were able to, uh, you know, to improve on that record. And uh, I, we had some other recruits uh, believing in the coach and the program, and that we could get back to the NCAA tournament um, as a, you know, as a university. And then, you know, you ended up meeting your future wife and you're still kind of up there in the, you know, in the, well, down there, I guess, in the Pacific Northwest doing That's your right. thing. And um, it's funny, like, I uh, never really thought about the whole process being super overwhelming. So it's kind of funny, like how your parents just narrowed it down like that and were able to chop it up. And, um, you know, w what was the Washington experience like? Like, uh, once you make that decision, when did you decide? Did you decide halfway through your senior year or, you know, did you get it off your plate? Um, I think I, I think I had decided, I think it might've been the early, uh, signing period. It was sometime after, I think I made my recruiting visits in the fall. And I think it was after I had, uh, I think Washington was my final one and I had made that decision. And then I, then I played, uh, you know, played my senior year and I think I had stopped growing, 
uh, up uh, in terms of height wise. And then I continued to eat the way that I had. And so I started to fill out. And so when I showed up on campus, or I think one of the assistant coach came to watch me play, and I looked very different in a bad way, uh, my senior year compared to my junior year, grade 11 year compared when they recruited me, uh, I don't think they were too happy with with the eating habits and, uh, and, you know, what my body had turned into in a positive, in a negative way. So I get down to campus and they want to kind of whip me into shape. And, um, and so I get there on the first day and they're like, all right, we're, uh, we're in the weight room. So I, you know, I really did not like weights. I still hate weights. And so now that I don't have to do them, I never do them. Uh, back then it was important. So I showed up at the weight room in uh, sandals, Birkenstocks, because that's what you do. Apparently, if you don't go to the weight room, you don't really know you should wear running shoes. So they're like, Hey, Todd, you, you might want to, do you have runners? You <laughs> might want to wear them to the weight room tomorrow. So, okay, I'll bring runners tomorrow, guys. We're good. All right. So how much do you bench? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. Well, let's find out. Okay. Big fellow, let's put some 45s on there on the on the bar, and that's 135. Let's see how many times you can do that. And I could do it all of nuns. And so they're like, all right, well, let's go with some 35s. And I, it goes a little bit higher. And then they put on 25s and then 10s. And I, I can barely do the 10s. So now we go to the bar. So I'm just doing the bar. I'm just killing the bar. I'm doing so many reps. And the rest of the team is doing their work. And they're like, that's our center? That's our 300 pound center. He's really strong. And so I'm, I mean, I'm killing that bar. So I get done with that. Now my arms are dead. So we go to the military press and I can't feel my arms. And the assistant coach is like, he's got like a helper trainer bar. So he's basically doing the military press for me and moving my arms up. Like, you know, I thought they were just spaghetti. And then we finished the workout. My arms are dead. I can't feel them. And they're like, okay, guys, it's, uh, we're going to go run five miles. I'm like, you guys are insane so now i have my running shoes on at this time and so we go run this outdoor trail and we start the run the whole team you know 12 of us and immediately like i fall back and two of my teammates they're they're walking with me in solidarity i'm like you guys go i didn't do the necessary fitness to be ready so i don't want you guys to get in trouble so you guys go i'll be fine so they're like fine buddy so they just sprint off like gazelles and and join the rest of the pack. And then they get two and a half miles down the trail and then they turn around and they pass me. And I'm at about the one mile mark when they pass me. And I'm like, all right, if you guys are going that way, there's no sense in me going there just to turn around. I'm just going to start following you back this way. And they run past me and I lose them again. And I go around the corner and then my nose starts to bleed. So I grabbed a twig and a, and a leaf from a tree and I shoved it up my nose to stop the bleeding. And now I'm dragging my leg like, um, like Frankenstein or Igor. And I, and I know that we just have to run the stadium stairs after this. So I'm like, the longer I take the less stairs, like maybe they'll be halfway done the stairs, but nope, they waited for me. So I come around the corner, dragging my leg, blood spit coming out of my mouth. They're like, come on, big fella. Let's go big fella. And they're encouraging me. And I think they're really laughing, but outwardly they're trying to be encouraging. And I show up and they're like, okay, you're here now. Let's go do stairs. I'm like, oh, now we're going to go run the stadium stairs? Okay, this will be fun. Let's do that. So we run the stadium stairs, and my legs are now as jello as my arms, and the spit's coming out of my mouth. And then we get done, and they're like, okay, guys, we're going to SBU, uh, Seattle Pacific University. We've got two hours of scrimmage. I'm like, you guys are crazy. So we go to scrimmage, and I go to put my shoes on because you have to put your basketball shoes on. So I've got the runners on now, but now I've got to put on the basketball shoes because we're going to play basketball. But so I, you know, you like lower yourself down to the court and my arms give out because there's no strength and I hit my head on the court and now I get my shoes on and now I can't stand back up 
because I'm just rolling around like a beached whale. But I have no, I can't even, you got to, if you're going to stand up, <laughs> you got to like push your body up. I'm not like a surfer. I can just pop up. So it takes everything that I have, every ounce of strength just to get to my feet. And I stand up and I'm like, I did it, guys. I'm up. And they're like, good job, center from Canada. You can stand up. Let's play. And now I can't hold the ball. I can't rebound. I got a ball and I would like shovel it to the point. Where I'm like, here, come take this thing. Take it. And then they gave me the ball in the post and I heaved it like a two handed under the basket, like, you know, like a, a berry shot. And it went in and I scored one basket in two hours of pickup against a D2 team. And then we're driving home in the van and the guys are like, they're trying to be supportive. Right. But I know they think I'm horrible because I've never played that bad in my life. You know, I dropped 50 in the provincials, baby. Um, and so then I'm like. Guys, I'm not really one to talk about myself, although like I've just been talking about myself here for quite a bit. But I was like, guys, I'm actually not as bad as what you saw today. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, of course you could, couldn't be. No. And then like a week later when I'd finally recovered, they're like, oh, yeah, we totally thought you were the worst player we'd ever seen. Um, but then I made it to the NBA. So it's, it's OK now. Should we just like cut in like a Kevin oh, Garnett? KG. Yeah, possible? To, I, I got a KG story, too. Yeah. So, so, you know, so now Perfect. I, now I read, now I redshirt, right. Because they, After. they can see that I'm actually, I'm getting better daily and I'm getting stronger and I'm getting fitter and, you know, I'm changing, you know, my doughboy appearance to being a little bit less doughboy and, you know, I've got good hands and good feet. And so they're like, you know what, he's going to be okay, but I think we should probably redshirt him. And, and, uh, when, when they sort of made that decision that we're going to sit you out this year, you're going to redshirt, um, and you're going to have four years after this. I, I sort of took that as a personal, you're not good enough to help us. And, and I felt like a failure and I felt like I wasn't as good as they thought I would be. And in, in hindsight, they knew they believed in me. They could see how much better my senior year would be than that first year. And so while it was really hard to accept, it actually turned out to be the best thing. And so I practiced that year and I get better and I get stronger and I get more confident and I'm doing well in practice and scouting. And, um, I think they let me, um, I think they let me warm up in the first game. They're like, do you want to dress in street clothes or do you want to be in uniform? I'm like, I want to be in uniform. And then I get out there for warmups and I'm thinking like, what, what am I doing? This is stupid. Like I can't even play in the games. What's the point of having effort and why should I try in these layup lines? And I just, I gave no effort. And at the end of the game, my assistant coach, uh, came up to me and said, Hey, uh, guess who was in the stands tonight? Uh, the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. Do you think he was, uh, impressed with your effort you think he liked what he saw and i'm like and he's like you never know who's in the stands you know give it your best effort and you know five four years later that's the guy that, that drafted me so it, it stuck with me and uh so i you know i that year's over that redshirt year and now it's time to play um and so now i'm ready to get in the game so we're playing the mighty uh, eastern washington eagles the golden eagles and i'm ready to i'm ready to you know put what i've learned on the court and the coach puts me in the game and I'm super nervous, but I'm on defense and I got pistols. I got my man. I got the help side. I'm protecting the basket. Somebody drives and elbows me in the face, probably harder than I've ever been hit, rings my bell and lays it up. And I think it's got to be an offensive foul. Like when you punch a defender, I feel like that should have been on them, but they call a foul on me and one coach is not happy. My, my head's bringing. So then we run down the other court and they're like, they want to give me a touch. So they throw the ball to me in the post, and I bobble it. It goes out of bounds. Coach is not happy. Uh, we run back on defense. I foul another dude who gets an and one, and I get yanked. And I'm on the end of the bench. I've got two fouls and a turnover, and the coach is not thrilled. And I'm thinking, okay, 
uh, games are a lot different than practice. I will be the worst D1 player uh, in history. And then I got a little better. And then I fouled out in six minutes. And the coach said, Todd, you have to extend yourself. You only played for six minutes. And the next night I fouled out in seven minutes. I said, coach, I'm doing better, right? Seven is more than six. So I had to, uh, I had to extend myself and not <laughs> let anyone score. I thought I had to defend the rim at all costs. Uh, I I mean, that's, that's my, that was my intro. Amazing. (laughs) No, just curious. I'm curious though. (laughs) I'm curious though. Did you go home in between or did you stay down and train or did you go back to, uh, Uh, I went, I went home every chance I could get. I mean, I'm red shirting and I'm, um, uh, what team is not doing well. I think we were nine and 18 and, we were losing a lot and I'm just getting like the bad parts, you know, the games are supposed to be the fun part and I don't get those and I'm just getting practice and a mm-hmm. lot of losses. And so I can't wait to go home for uh, Christmas and, and uh, I don't think I got home for, I think Christmas and it was going to be like a turkey dinner. And my mom used to make a killer turkey dinner, mashed potatoes and gravy and stuffing and dressing and all that good stuff. And I'm excited. And then I get there and there was some low fat dressing that just tasted all. I'm like, what do you, it's like, well, the, the coaches said that we should probably help you trim down a little bit. So they, they just took away Christmas dinner from me and, oh man. So anyway, um, I went, I went home every chance I could uh, get, and I wasn't sure if I was coming back, but, uh, I decided to, to stick it out and we got better as a team and we improved and, um, we wanted to make postseason. Uh, we ended up making the NIT my freshman year uh, and my sophomore year. Uh, lost in the first round both times, and then we had a. Uh, the goal was to, of course, get to the NCAA tournament. And I think the Huskies hadn't been there since '86 with the Detlef Schrempf and Christian Velp era. And so our mission was to get back to the tournament, and we did that as an 11 seed against a six seated uh, Xavier team that a lot of people liked in their brackets and nobody picked Washington because they hadn't seen us in a dozen years. Uh, and we beat them, I think, 61-59. I, uh, may, me and the, my seven-foot uh, roommate teammate may have gotten away with a little bit of a foul, maybe, at the end. And we won and broke everybody's brackets. And then uh, 14th-seeded Richmond had defeated third-seeded um, South Carolina. And so it was 11 against 14. I was like, Hey guys, we're the higher seed. We should win this next game. And we did we made it to the sweet 16. And then we went up against a very good UConn team with uh, Rip Hamilton and Jake Voskel and Khalid el uh, And we took our first lead with 24 seconds left in the game. And it was looking like our Cinderella story was going to continue into the Elite Eight. And uh, Rip Hamilton hit a uh, buzzer beater uh, and just put a sword, just a dagger right into our right into our hearts. And that was a that was a tough one. But it was pretty incredible to make it to the tournament, you know, after losing in the first round of the NIT twice. And then to make it to the tournament and win two games games and really just going to breathe, breathe life back into the program and really get campus excited. Um, and then we went back to the tournament the next year and, uh, lost in the first round. And then I, uh, then I got drafted after that. Yeah, that's great stuff. Um, and you know, and then I don't know how many years later, like, uh, Lorenzo Romar was in, but like, you know, you, UW had a pretty solid program for, for years after that too. And I remember sitting at home watching that game and, Wishing in that they get that was just such a weird ending when Rip hit that shot. That was wild. Yeah, uh, I mean, just yeah. crazy. So it's like such a mix. So so many emotions. It's like 
you know, upon reflection, you look back, you know, maybe a couple of weeks or a month after, you know, the bitterness goes away and you think, wow, what an amazing run and look what we did. But then it's like, damn, like we, you know, we were there too. Right. So, but you know, you know, as you get to be our age and you move even more forward, it's like, wow, what a, what a special part that was, you know, to, to be part of that run and do those things. And I've always been interested. What's it like when, when a program's in that and you're, you're coming home for a couple of days and like, are you getting off the bus and the band's playing or is it just like, you know, no one's there or, you know, you got a few days to uh, gather no, yourself was, and then you're off to the next round. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was, it was so exciting. I mean, the university was, was so thrilled and, uh, we went down to, um, it was, we were in, uh, I think we were in Greenville, maybe, uh, Gre- uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, that was our regional and, uh, won those games and came back and, there was, I think we got in at, at one in the morning and the airport was filled with people. I mean, there was, there was the whole, not the whole city, but there was tons of people, you know, this is pre, uh, you know, pre nine 11. So I think people could, you know, kind of get into the terminal and there was just tons of people there to meet us in the middle of the night and show their appreciation, excitement. And then, uh, then we flew out to Washington DC for the, uh, the sweet 16. And it was just so much excitement on, on campus. You got a couple days to, you know, scout and you know who you're going to play and the practices were fun. And, and we just felt like we were kind of on borrowed time. The goal was to make it to the tournament. Uh, and then for us to, to win a couple of games, every coaches were happy. Players were happy. University was happy. City was happy. It was a very, you know, it was a special time. And then we, um, you know, we, we gave UConn a, a pretty good run for their money. And, uh, ultimately they, uh, we gave them too many, too many cracks. I mean, they led for, you know, if the game is 40 minutes long, they led for 39 minutes and 30 seconds. So the, they, they deserve to win. Uh, but we put ourselves in a position where, uh, you know, we were, we could have been up at the end of the game and, uh, they just got, I think three or four shots at the buzzer and it was just a, a melee and, and most teams just don't get that many opportunities to, to put it in. But you, you know, you're going to give the ball to rip Hamilton at the end of the game. He's gonna, he's going to make big shots. And so no, no surprise, the player that he turned out to be and the kind of clutch shots that he made throughout his career. So, um, you know, no, no real shame in losing to that team. And they, they went on to win the Minnesota really championship the following, uh, the following year. So we were in some good company. And if, if we had won that game, I think, uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels would have been the team that we'd played in the elite eight. So you think about the NCAA tournament, uh, to play a, a storied program like, uh, North Carolina in the elite eight would have been, uh, pretty amazing. But looking back, you know, the, the bad break that we, we had in that, in that, uh, game could have been the bad break that we had against Xavier where we, where we won by two. And so that's just the, that's just the name of the game. That's what makes it so exciting and what makes that tournament so, so special. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. That's cool. I have to hear those stories, you know, and obviously, you know, I spent a lot of my time, you know, hopping and doing road trips down to Seattle, watching some Sonics and, you know, Seattle, such a great sports city, right? They love their teams and get behind it. So I can only imagine, you know, the chaos that was happening. And I mean, you're not going to say it, but like you were the leading, you know, led, led your team in points and rebounds that year. So, you know, you're a huge component of that. And just the, you know, I think we, you know, we do have some young listeners, some young basketball players that listen to the show. And, and um, so I think it's great that you gave some insight in terms of, you know, in a funny way, but well, a hilarious way, but just of where you were at and like, you know, kind of thinking, well, yeah, like I was the man and I scored 50, 51 or whatever in the provincial final and da, da, da. And then realizing, whoa, like there's a whole nother level to this next level um, and, and putting that work in and then to see that come to fruition, um, and you finished that junior year, did it ever think, do you ever cross your mind that maybe you're going to forget for goal that year, or were you always going to come back and, 
and finish school and get that senior year under your belt? Or was that kind of a tough decision to make for you? I don't think it was a tough decision, and and I'm not sure if I would have been better off in terms of draft position if I had a I had left. A, you know, I had a good NCAA tournament. I think I had um, uh, what did I have? Um, Thirty. How, how do I forget this? Um, th- what did I? Have? I, I had uh, no. Thirty-eight was my college high. Um, I think I had. 26 and 18 or something against Richmond or something. I had, you know, I had a good stat line in the second game. And then I think I maybe had 18 and 10 against uh, Connecticut. And uh, so I had a good tournament um, and my stock was probably higher than it was uh, for my senior. So in hindsight, I may have been drafted earlier. I'm not sure that it would have, uh, if I would have ended up in the, uh, in the first round or not, I make my goal was to be a first rounder, but I, I really didn't. Um, I didn't really think, I didn't think it would be the best thing. I, I wanted to get my degree. Um, I, uh, and I was able to do that, you know, during my, uh, during the fifth year, I was able to, to get my degree. And I thought if, you know, whatever draft position I may have been on the boards, I thought I could improve on that. And I, I did have a good senior year. I led the nation in uh, field goal percentage for the, uh, third year. I improved my rebounding to, uh, uh yeah, I improved my rebounding to 11.9 rebounds a game. The NCAA leader that year was 12.1. And so I was the uh, second leading rebounder, uh, first in field goal percentage. Um, and so I thought that would be enough to get drafted in the first round. And I was, uh, I was wrong. I think there was a perception that maybe I wasn't quick enough or athletic, athletic enough to adapt to the NBA game. And so, uh, there was, you know, some some scouts that maybe were telling me or my agents that I'd be a first rounder. Um, I happily believed them, and I think one scout told me uh, they're all wrong. You're going to be in the second round, and I didn't want to believe him. Uh, turns out that he was right, and so I was uh, I was uh, devastated. I was. Uh, you know, only 60 people get drafted into the NBA each year. And I, and once again, I think my confidence was sort of shattered and I kind of felt like a, a failure. I wanted that uh, first round, you know, security, the financial security, just knowing that I could be part of the team. I, I just didn't want to, I didn't, you know, I kind of wanted the, the easy road and I didn't want to have to compete as a second rounder and, and fight for a spot. And I kind of wanted a little bit of easy street. Um, and that, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't the case. So I ended up having to, you know, fight for a spot with, uh, uh, with the Sixers as a second round pick, you're not really guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed your your salary. You're uh, um, you're guaranteed you know a, a chance to uh, to fight for a roster spot. And uh, I asked them if I could play with Team Canada that summer. We were going to go down to Puerto Rico and try and qualify for the Olympics. And they said, sure, do whatever you you know, knock your socks off. And then all of a sudden, now I'm playing with my boys. I'm I'm playing with Nashi and Mavis and Garashi and Johnny Lee, the manager, and, you know, everybody, and I'm having fun again. You know, Jay Triano's coaching us. I'm getting my confidence again. I'm, I'm, you know, Nash is feeding me amazing passes that all I have to do is catch it and lay it in the basket. Uh, And I'm starting to realize that I, you know, I'm not a bad player and uh, we're, we're kind of rolling in that, in that tournament. And so we ended up uh, um, qualifying and, and, um, um, making it to Sydney, which was our, our goal and our, our mission. And so, uh, the final against the U S we, you know, we weren't expected to, uh, uh, to win that game. And our goal was to, to get, you know, the second spot to represent the country, um, at the Olympics. And so, um, I ended up, uh, we, we ended up losing to the U S you know, by a significant margin. 
and uh, got back to the hotel room and Garashi was my, my roommate and he maybe checked the voicemail or, and, and said I had a message from my agent and, and he was on the phone saying he had uh, 22 points and 16 rebounds against the Dream Team. Uh, Sixers are going to sign you to a two-year minimum salary contract, so uh, welcome to the NBA. And so now we we just you know made it to the Olympics and now I find out that I'm actually going to be a part of the Sixers and it uh, it started my started my NBA career I think and so that 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 uh, chance I you know playing for uh, playing for Team Canada you know really helped me in my NBA career as well. Man, talk about a hoops journey, right? Like what a, what a whirlwind there. That's crazy, man. I mean, and this is why I love doing this, just this show and listening to everybody's story. I mean, people make assumptions about different people and, you know, we see and, but to, to know the, just how it impacted you to not, you know, you you use the word failure, feeling like a failure um, and to able, able to see it all kind of come together. That's unreal, unreal, man. Um, I don't even know where to begin with all that stuff. That was so good. Talk, talk more like from a Canadian perspective um, and someone who's coach, you know, obviously we had Jay on the show. We've had a few of your, few of your teammates from, you know, that Olympic year on the show. I always love hearing the stories and the stuff um, from that time. That was such a cool time for Canada basketball. And I can't wait for our next group of men and women to kind of get there. You know, the women are, you know, kicking butt and taking numbers the men seem to be always on the cusp but um you know that was just i think for so many of our generation right i'm 43 so i'm right there with you guys um it was such a special time and i can only imagine someone who was actually involved in that and all those great moments so if you know any reflections from that and what that meant to you upon it building your confidence as a person and a player and getting you back into you know being yourself again yeah, I think uh, it was all, it was such a, an honor uh, to play for a, a country that I'm so proud to be from, and then just to have that group of guys and 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 Coach Triano as our leader, it was something I looked forward to was was you know traveling around the world, playing with those guys, wearing the maple leaf, and you know my my goal as a kid was was not to make the NBA. I didn't think that was a reality, um, but I think maybe in ninth grade I may have sat down with. Um, you know, a, a coach, uh, um, you know, Richard Gooch and Doug Fraser, my high school coaches. And, and they had kind of said, like, what do you, you know, what's your goal? And I said, you know, I, I think maybe I can make Canada's national team. And, and maybe if I can make the national team, maybe I can help them go to the Olympics. And so it was one of my, you know, oldest, youngest goals, I think, as a basketball player was to make the national team and, and hope to help them get back to the Olympics. So it was a dream come true to be, you know, on that team that qualified and then to go to a place like Sydney, you know, a wonderful country, wonderful hosts, and then for us to, to play as well as we did and, and to, you know, come out of our pool and make it to uh, the crossover round and um, to come within a few points of making it to the to the medal round and, and hopefully getting up on the on the podium. So I think we, we had to kind of readjust our goals. Goal was to make it to Sydney. And now that we're in, you know, let's not settle for just being participants. Uh, let's see if we can get on the podium. And, and we, we played, you know, we played well enough to do it. I think our record was five and two and France's record was five and two. And they, they ended up with the silver Australia ended up with the bronze and we defeated them in the, um, in the first game. So I know that we were uh, good enough that we could have been on the, on the podium. And unfortunately that crossover game against France was a, was a killer, but overall it was an incredible experience to represent, you know, a country that I'm so proud to be from and to be in a place like that and just to be, you know, part of a, 
and part of that team was very special and, and we had a lot of support back home that we could feel and a lot of um, a lot of positive energy and momentum and, and hopefully uh, some some younger people wanted to go out and play some basketball and with dreams of playing for the national team someday your buddy pete mentioned you know you being a huge part of that as well and um you know just in his episode mentioning like if you're gonna have two nba guys what better people could you have than yourself and and steve nash to kind of take the lead right and and what is it about steve and, and jay like there's just seems to be a sort of special sauce there with those guys and um i'm so intrigued about you know both of them and how their their ability to have people kind of feel a part of what they're ever trying to do, their culture, whoever they, you know, whatever they're trying to lead. So what was it, do you think about them, their, maybe their interpersonal skills um, that, that separated them from others? I think you just, they're just incredible uh, human beings and they're incredible basketball people and minds. And they just have a, they have a will to, to win and a competitiveness. And I think they just really understand how to get the most out of um, out of each of their each of their players. I mean, I'm you know I'm very different from you know other other players on the team, and everybody has their own you know either motivations or or things that get them going. And some guys you kind of got to kick in the butt a little bit, and other guys you maybe need to to challenge. And I think it's you know it's it's amazing when you have a coach like Triano and a player like Steve, uh, just understand people well enough to be like you know we're all a team, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do what it takes to to get the most out of everybody. And I think they did that in a in a fun environment where you know we were being challenged and we and we competed and we all wanted to be the best we could and so I think we just had to follow the leadership of of coach and then on the court you know Steve was our a vocal leader a physical leader and we just had to to just try and keep up and he just they just had this intensity where they they wanted to win they they hated to lose and there was nothing wrong with having a good time uh, along the way in terms of having fun on the court and uh, um, and just you know it was it was um it was a really special time i think for you know for me uh every summer i I look forward to and those you know those two guys were a a huge part of it in terms of our our success and belief in in where we could get the canadian program uh, back on the world map well i guess so you qualify but then you have an nba season before the olympics is that correct yeah, had yeah. Uh, had one one season, and so that was um, that's a that's a good way to to get ready and to play against uh, some some tough competition. And uh, I think at, at some point I uh, went up against Shaq at, at some point, and I was maybe like the fourth big man out of five, and I was sitting next to uh, Pepe Sanchez, who's you know a great Argentinian player, and we would we would face them and in, in international battles, and now we're on the same team, and he and I are sitting the bench a lot. Uh, and Shaq is getting our, you know, three main big men in foul trouble. And Pepe leans over. He's like, uh, get ready. Uh, you're going to have to go in there pretty soon and uh, careful because I think Shaq's going to hurt you. I'm like, Shaq's not going to hurt me, Pepe. It's not the ultimate fighting championships. It's basketball. He might dunk on me, but that's what he does. He's not going to hurt me. He's like, no, nah, I think he's going to hurt you. Shut up, Pepe. And then, uh, you know, Geiger gets another foul and I get put in the game. And, you know, I get into perfect rebounding position. You know, if the shot comes from the opposite baseline, you got to know that, you know, 90% of those balls are coming off the far side. So I've got Shaq on my back, textbook form, you know, broad shoulders. I've got a boxed out, done, sealed. And I jump up to get the ball because it goes exactly where I thought it would. And Shaq jumps higher, quicker, gets it. 
and then inadvertently drops an elbow on my clavicle Star Trek death pinch neck and I crumple to the ground like a bag of potato chips and then he goes and dunks on someone and gets an and one and the coach is yelling and Pepe's <laughs> laughing Pepe's like I told you he'd hurt you I'm like shut up Pepe the coach is like Todd I'm like I turn with my crick neck I'm like coach sorry what Pepe shut up so he was laughing because he told me that Shaq would hurt me and it was totally inadvertent and he was a a class act and I I was a scorer I mean that's all I know how to do. I, I didn't like to pass the ball very much. I figured when you got it, the goal is to put it in the basket, not give it to others. And so I think my freshman year in college, I had four assists for my whole freshman year. Um, I, I, I prescribed to the flight attendant's creed of make sure to secure your own shot before looking to assist others. Um, and so I didn't want to share. Um, and so if I got the ball in the post, I was going to shoot it because that was my time. And so I make my, you know, sweeping running across the key from the, I guess it'd be the right, the right block, um, two steps, you know, sweeping left hook. And then I, then halfway into my steps, I realized that Shaq is guarding me and he's a, you know, a fantastic defender, you know, great, you know, so quick off his feet and such great instincts and long arms. And, uh, and I realize it's just too late for me to do anything else. So I follow through with my, you know, running two foot sweeping left hook and it goes, it bounces off the backboard, it hits the front rim and it rolls in. And I am as stunned as anybody. And we run back down the court and Shaq is like, Hey man, that was a nice shot. I'm like, oh, sorry, it won't happen again. I forgot you were guarding. Don't worry, that won't happen again. So uh, it was just, you know, it's fun. You can do your job. And then he just had such a good sense of humor. Uh, it was really fun to compete against someone that was just the, you know, the, the greatest at that position, I, I think ever. And just to be on the court with people like that was, was crazy. He was insanely dominant. Yeah. And that's what, what is it like? What's the feeling like? Okay. You know, all these crazy moments through basketball, the tournament run, you know, you get, you qualify, all right, we sign a contract and then, you know, you walk into that training camp. Like, I mean, or are you a guy that's like, you seem like you're fairly stoic, right? So, but internally, are you kind of like, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap? Or is it like, okay, like Todd, play this off, play cool, man, like act like you belong, <laughs> you know, like what? I just wonder, like Allen Iverson's working on his jumper or maybe he's not there yet because it's practice, but you know what I mean? Like I, all these guys are around you. Like what, what's, how does that feel for like a dude from the peg, you know? Yeah, no, I'm just, uh, you know, trying to not get cut. You know, I had a, uh, I had a guaranteed two year, uh, minimum salary contract. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was guaranteed, but I mean, it was pretty, pretty small change in terms of what some of the other contracts were. So in my head, it was very expendable and that they could just, you know, end that contract and get rid of me. And so I felt like I need to be there early. I need to be there, the last one to leave. I need to, you know, put in extra effort. I need to listen and learn. And, and Coach Brown was a, a Hall of Fame coach, and I just really needed to learn the NBA game. And so I tried to absorb it all. And he, you know, he loves to teach. And I was very willing to, to listen and learn. And, you know, I'd had some success at the college level, but this was a whole new ball game. And so I just tried to absorb it all. And he loved to work with the young guys and get us to practice uh, early, you know, the, the draft picks and the rookies and, um, you know, maybe some of the guys that came up from some of the other leagues. He would have us play, you know, uh, three on three sort of 
you know, full contact before practice. And then the veterans would come up and, and, uh, you know, go through practice and then we'd, we'd play some more after. So we were getting, uh, you know, extra time and, and just a chance to really, really learn. He just loved to break it down, you know, little, little micro plays, you know, three on three, you know, screen and roll and a lot of the fundamentals. And, um, so we got a lot of instruction. And so I think, you know, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, it was my first training camp and, um, you know, I was in a, in a hotel room, I think at an embassy suites the day before training camp. And they, you know, they called me up and said, Hey Todd, uh, you know, we're bringing Bruce Bowen in, um, he's getting in at 1am and I think they're out of hotel room. So can he stay in your, you know, embassy suites, pull out couch or whatever. And, and I said, sure, that'd be, that'd be great. You know, I'd, I'd heard Bruce was a great guy and, so he shows up and I, all he wants to do is, is sleep, but I'm, I'm a little talkative as you can see. And I'm nervous about training camp. So I'm picking his brain. He's already been in the NBA before. And I'm asking him what's, what's training camp be like. And, and he's like, okay, well, let's see somebody in your position, second round pick. Uh, you're going to need to uh, come in in great shape. That's number one. I'm like <laughs> too late for that. I'm actually not, I'm not in great shape. So besides being in great shape, what else do I need to do to make the team? And he's like, okay, you're, you're in trouble. And, uh, so then he's like, this is great, Todd. Can I, can I go to sleep, please shut up with the questions? I'm like, okay. So, uh, fortunately I made the team, he made the team and, and then we're like in Cleveland at a Tuesday on a day off and I think it's 11 AM and the hotel attached to a, a mall with a movie theater back when those were a thing. And so we end up going to a movie together and, and I'm, you know, coming from college and hanging out with my buddies and sharing popcorn. I was like, Hey Bruce, you want to share a popcorn there, buddy? And he's like, Todd, you're in the NBA now, okay? You can get your own popcorn, all right? And don't even think about sitting next to me. We're big guys. There needs to be at least three seats in, in, you know, between us. NBA players don't sit together. I'm like, what's the point of us even go to the movies? You can't share popcorn, can't even sit together. It's like we're strangers. So uh, I had to get used to the new, uh, the new dynamic of being like a cool NBA guy, you know? <laughs> so I pull up in a, in a Durango, get a, new, I get a new car, a yes. 1999 Dodge Durango. And it's loaded and it's polished. And one of my teammates, George Lynch, love him. He's like, hey, Todd, is that your new ride? So your new Durango? I go, yeah. He goes, is it loaded? I go, yeah, it's loaded. He's like, really? You got you got a PlayStations in the back seat and flat screen TVs and Xbox? I'm like, no, regular person loaded, like air conditioning, leather, and, and power windows. Not NBA <laughs> player loaded. There's a total difference, George. I didn't have all that, all that stuff. And so there's, you know, bling and... Uh, Rencius, uh, if Timios Rencius from, from Greece was one of my teammates and, you know, we had a lot, a lot in common, you know, being Canadian, I was foreign. So I tended to bond with the foreign guys, whether Pepe from Argentina or Rencius from Greece. And we sit next to each other and he's like, Todd, what, uh, what is this bling bling? These guys talk bling bling. I don't know. It's like jewels and diamonds and ice and that kind of thing. Okay. So, you know, I wasn't playing a lot and, and Rence wasn't playing a lot and we're sitting on the bench and it's playoffs and Philly's a great atmosphere tons of energy crowd support and he he looks over and there's a whole bunch of fans in the front row with signs you know one letter per sign and rencia says to me he's todd what is wahoosie your daddy and i said oh rinse it's not wahoosie your daddy that's just the phonetic spelling it's actually who's your daddy rinse hey, yes todd what means this who's your daddy and i go oh rinse well how do you explain who's your daddy i mean i know i'm like oh rinse i, I think I, I think we're there, Daddy. I think 
I think we're there, Daddy. And then we're gonna we're gonna beat him, I think. And he's like, Okay, I get yes. I'm like, I don't know, Rance. I I don't know how to explain who's your daddy. And he's like, No, thank you, I get it. So the next day I come into practice and he's playing one on one with Mike Woodson, who we called Woody. And Rance bombs a three and he's like, Who's your daddy, Woody? Who's your daddy, Woody? I am your daddy. And I'm like, Oh, Rance, you totally got it. That's that's perfect. Way to use it in a sentence. Um, you know, so so we bonded over over that. Who's your daddy? <laughs> Uh, you know, education can happen in so many different places, Todd. <laughs> it's good to, you know, it's good to ask questions. I, uh, halfway through a season, we, we trade for uh, Tony Kukoc and, uh, you know, when you make a trade, you've Sorry. got, you know, your 12 seats on the front of the, uh, on the front of the plane and you have your assigned seat. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, you pick a seat, you basically stay there. So I'm in my seat that I've been in for that half year and maybe a year and a half. And then now Tony Kukoc is next to me, and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a fun half season. So we, we're flying to Milwaukee or something, and Kukoc sits next to me, and I'm like, Tony Kukoc. You know, I watched the guy in high school win three rings with Michael Jordan, and so I'm ready to pick his brain and chat, you know, for all our flights. And I'm like, Tony, what was it like playing with Michael Jordan? And he's like, oh. I can already tell I've made a horrible seat selection. I mean, my, my options were very limited. I was forced into this seat, but I can already tell this is going to be a very long half season. Okay, we must establish some uh, ground rules. Uh, you can have one question per flight. For this flight, what is your question? I'm like, what's it like playing with Jordan? Playing with Jordan was tremendous. And I go, yeah, that's it. We are done. And then he would open up the window shield, and then he would look outside for three hours. And then the next flight, you know, we're going to Cleveland. And I'm like, Tony, what was it like growing up in Croatia? Life in Croatia was very difficult. <laughs> That's it. That's your question. We are done. Okay. And he'd look out the window shade. And then that was all I could say um, to Tony. And then I saw him a couple of years later when I was doing radio and I checked in and I was like, Tony, how's it going? He's like, yes. How's your family? How's my family? Kids, soccer, small talk, yada, yada. Okay. Nice seeing you. I'm like, I love Tony Kukoc. Um, but, uh, you know. So, you know, everybody's, everybody's their own person. But he was a great teammate, and he was a winner. And as soon as he got on the court, I mean, he, he could make plays. He could make people better. And at 6'10", he was such a handful and so tough to um, defend. But he also, you know, I think on defense, maybe at 6'10", had a hard time guarding some, some guys. I mean, obviously, the plus-minus was definitely in his favor uh, in our favor. But so, there were some guys that were a tough matchup. And I think Coach was riding them a little bit and – and he got some, you know, he was a little banged up and we got his, his test results back. And, and uh, I said, Tony, did you get your MR, MRI results back? You know, I know coach has been riding you a little bit. He's like, yes, they got the results back. And all they found is that my feelings were hurt. <laughs> so he was just, he, I think that's why, like, he was so funny. Um, he was just, he was a riot. So uh, love me some Tony. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, it's gold. That is gold. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what am I supposed to follow up with that corpse? Like, so anyways, uh, uh, like you guys made the friggin' NBA, you made the NBA finals twice, but like you, you made the finals and, um, you know, what, how, how crazy was that as well? I just, you know, getting in there, banging Shaq around and, and just being a part of that. And I don't know, I, I don't know if you have any good AI stories or what, what it was like to kind of be around him, but, um, you know, some, uh, yeah. 
Um, and it was, um, yeah, I'll start with uh, my AI story and then I'll get to the, to the final. So, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm drafted by the Sixers and I don't know anything about uh, Pennsylvania or the East coast. I'm from Winnipeg. I go to college in Seattle. I'd never been to the East coast. And I thought, I thought Philadelphia was maybe in Pennsylvania, but uh, that's about all I knew. And I knew they had Iverson. And um, so I show up and he's awesome and so much fun to be around and such a competitor. Um, and we go out to, or he's, he, uh, he liked to eat at TGI Fridays. That was his, uh, that was his spot. And so I was there with, uh, you know, uh, Paul and Shauna, uh, my Winnipeg uh, friends and, and, uh, and Iverson's with his people in the corner and he walks by us to, you know, go to the restaurant. We've been teammates for, I don't know, at least a month or so. And, and I, as on his way back from the bathroom, I'm like, Alan, um, I was just wondering if you could like say hi to my friends here, Paul and Shauna from Winnipeg and maybe get him an autograph or something. He's like, sure, I'll sign for your friends. I'll shake their hand. But who, who the hell are you? And I'm like, Alan, I'm, I'm Todd. I'm your teammate for like a month. He's like, come on, man. I'm just busting your balls, man. I'm like, that, that's not funny, Alan. You're making me look stupid in front of my friends. I mean, you know me. So he was like, dude, chill out. You're in the NBA. Just relax. You know, you belong. And so I just couldn't believe that I was like teammates with Alan Iverson. And then he's going to joke about who am I? And it just made me question it. And uh, um, so we just had it. We had a good, you know, a lot of fun. And then the team is successful. We had really good chemistry and playing, you know, maybe less than my second year. Uh, my first year, we made it to the second round. I probably played more my first year and less my second year. So I t uh, some of the big guys ahead of me, the three or four big guys ahead of me were a little bit healthier. Um, so I spent a little more time on the bench. And so I don't play in the, uh, in the first series. I think we play Indiana and finally sort of get over that hump. They had been the team that had uh, exited us uh, the year before. And I think maybe the previous year before that, and so we get by them. I don't think I play. And then we, um, then we play the Raptors. And uh, that was a famous series where, uh, you know, Vince Carter missed that three. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I may have gotten a minute in that series and then we play Milwaukee and I don't play for the first, you know, five or six games in the series. And I just assume, okay, I'm, I'm a part of this team and I need to, you know, stay ready. Um, but I, I didn't really see the need in listening to all the timeouts cause I didn't think I was going to play this postseason. And we're playing in Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference uh, Finals. And, um, you know, coach calls a timeout and draws up the play. And then at the end of the timeout, when it's time to go in, he's like, Todd, get Geiger, you're in. And I'm just like, whoa, in my head. I'm like, I did not listen to this timeout at all. I don't know what we're running, but I can't go to the coach and be like, hey, coach, wasn't listening. What are we doing again? What do I do? So I just assume, like, you know what? 75% of our plays has me lifted on the right side. So I'm just going to go there and take my chances that that's the play we're running. So I just float to the three-point line on the right, and the coach goes, no, Todd. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm supposed to be on the left. The other 15% of our plays has me on the left. So I run to the left side. He's like, no, Todd. And he's just like throwing his hands up. I've screwed up this whole play at a key part of the game. So I'm like, somebody, somebody takes a shot and I'm like, I don't care. I'm getting the rebound. Get out of my way. So I push everyone out of way. I get the rebound. I get fouled and it's an and one. And I'm like, okay, see coach, chill. I got this. So I've never had more like determination to get a ball than when the coach was mad at me for not listening to the timeout. So you always got to kids. If you're listening, you got to You got to be prepared for every moment. Cause you have too many of those. You're done. You're not going to get another chance. So fortunately I made something good out of it. You got to have that determination. And I think I should have learned my message in my, my, my lesson earlier in the year in Detroit, I wasn't playing. So I wasn't listening. That's the wrong thing to do. And the coach is calling plays and I'm not, I'm not listening because, 
because the crazy mascot in Detroit is on a sled toboggan and he's in the upper deck and he's going to sled down the aisle and I think he's going to die. And so I don't want to miss it. So I'm like looking at the timeout, but trying to like sneak my eyes up and avert. And then Geiger comes over to like scold me for not watching the timeout. And he comes over, I'm like, here we go. I'm busted. And Geiger goes, dude, this mascot is insane. He's so crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what? So this, I love the NBA. So we're all distracted and we're, you know, so that was my role model. And um, so anyway, so, so we, we get it together and I start listening in timeouts. And um, so I play a little bit in that, uh, in that Milwaukee series. What now happened to the mascot? Uh, he survived. Like he ended oh, up he hitting a, a pole. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He hit like a hand railing, but he survived. I don't think he does that anymore. I think that's not allowed anymore, yeah. uh, but just insane. And so we make it to the finals, which is amazing. All of our series were tough, right? The first series against Indiana back then it was five games. Uh, they took us to five games. I think we were down in every series. I think we lost uh, the first game to Indiana. I think we might've lost the first game to the Raptors. I know we, I know we were down in the series against Milwaukee, uh, fought back and every one and, uh, you know, won the, the game sevens at home. So now, now we're the Eastern conference champions and, uh, now we're playing the Lakers and we're definitely the underdogs. Uh, the Lakers have, um, they've rolled, they won their first series, three straight. They won their next series, four straight. They won their next series, four straight. They have not lost. And we're looking like, um, uh, team was going to go undefeated and we go into LA uh, and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't play Iverson has like 48 points in, uh, in overtime and we beat them and we sort of shock them and that's their first playoff loss and we've taken the lead. Um, and so we're feeling pretty good about ourselves and uh, uh, Geiger gets in, injured. And so now I play in game two, um, but I'm playing the four spot. And so that's the first time in my entire life, um, that I'm playing the four. I've always been a five. I've always been the biggest guy, but we've got Dikembe at the five. So I'm playing the four, trying to guard Robert Ori and struggling to uh, his perimeter skills, his three-point shooting, his give and goes, uh, his mobility. I'm really struggling to uh, um, to, to guard Robert Ori effectively. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to do what I can do. And that's, you know, run the court and try and make Shaq, you know, work for everything, uh, I think Shaq had eight blocks in the game. Four of them were against me, but I think one or two of them, I got them and went right back up and tried not to be intimidated. Um, tried to get out on the break. And at some point, I think it was Eric Snow and I on a break and he gave me the ball two on O and I dunked it. So I'm, I'm just trying to get out and run the court and, and use my youth and, uh, and athleticism. And so I think I finished with, you know, 13 points and six rebounds. Um, we lose the game. Uh, but I think I, I got on the radar of some uh, some GMs as somebody that was a you know a potential starter uh, in the future. So I kind of went from being a, kind of an unknown you know contract expiring minimum salary guy to somebody that was you know showing some potential in a in a big stage like the NBA Finals against Shaq. And even though Shaq had you know 37 and 14 and eight. Um, you know, Todd McCulloch, nobody had 13, six and something in 12 or 13 minutes. And so all of a sudden I had three or four NBA teams that were, uh, in negotiations with my agent. And so all of a sudden the, the world kind of opened up to me in terms of my, uh, my options and ended up choosing, uh, the Nets made me the best offer. And they had also recently acquired Jason Kidd. And so I felt like, you know, I, I knew what playing with Nash was like and how much fun that was. And, uh, you know, I, I had either signed with the Nets or was thinking of it and called Nash to say, hey, you, you've been teammates with uh, Jason Kidd. You know, what, what are your thoughts? And he said, imagine playing with a way better version of me. And I said, I like the sounds of playing with a way, way better. Oh, Steve being humble. Um, but I love the sound of that. And so, you know, playing with Jay Kidd was, a, you know, it was a dream just to 
you know, catch those passes and just be ready. And so that was a successful uh, Nets team and went to the finals. And unfortunately, the Lakers were still dominant and they still had Shaq and Kobe and they made short work of us in, in four straight. And so uh, uh, we did pretty well for the East, but we, we had trouble with uh, with that West Coast Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you t- jokingly, but you know, talked about like never know who's watching or whatever, but you go from maybe... You know, maybe if you have a couple breakout games just during the regular season when everybody else is kind of playing, but now it's like the biggest stage and, you know, all the GMs are watching and everybody's watching because there's only two teams left and to have that moment, right, and and uh, to kind of take it from there, um, pretty wild how that stuff kind of falls in place, you know, and that's that's interesting. Um and how was it to play with Jay Kidd? I mean, like that team was stacked too, right? You had Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn. Um, you know, he had our main man, Kenyon, I love, Kenyon uh, Martin. White Mamba, Brian Scalabrini, right? Kmart. Scalabrini, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that team, you guys we, were loaded. No, that was a, we, we did. And some, you know, I don't think people knew just how good Richard Jefferson was going to be. He was a, he was a rookie um, and, of course, went on to be a great player. Everyone knew what Jay Kidd could do and... You know, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a starter on that team, and I don't know if I, I, I think I, you know, struggled with. I, I think in high school I got my confidence, and I knew how important I was uh, to my, to my high school team in terms of, you know, wins and losses. And then I think in my later years in college, um, you know, you talked about me leading the team and scoring and rebounding. So I, I think I, I knew how important I was to that team that I needed to come to play every night. Um, and I think maybe there was just a part of me that just, you know, felt. Um, like maybe I didn't belong at the highest level in the NBA. So I, I had to rebuild my confidence. Um, and fortunately, you know, with the national team, you know, Nash would help me with that. Coach Triana would help me with that. My teammates would help me. You know, Coach Brown helped me with that, with the Sixers. These guys believed in me. And I think, you know, looking back, I did have the physical skills. I had the height. I had the ability to catch the ball. I had the fundamentals. Um, but I just needed to believe it. And so I think I just, uh, you know, went off what, you know, what the, the belief that those uh, people, teammates and coaches had in me to put me in the game. And then, um, you know, I really, I, even though I was like super nervous and, you know, freaking out, I would uh, really try and channel that, that nervous energy uh, onto the court and that I had a mission to do. And so, you know, I, I think when you're, a, when you're a starter, um, you, you don't have to worry about those doubts kind of go away because you're playing every night and you're guaranteed, you know, a certain number of minutes. But when I was with the Sixers, depending on injuries, there might've been like 10 games where I don't play. And in that time, I think my, you know, my, my mind would play tricks on me that, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You've forgotten. You're not sharp. Um, and there was a game where I got in and I played timid and I played scared and it was obvious to everybody. And the coach had to pull me because I was running around there trying not to make a mistake. And I got yanked and the, and the, the coach said to me, Todd, what are you scared? And I, you know, I knew it was sort of, it was obvious that I was, I didn't want to admit it. And I wasn't sure if it was a, an actual question that he wanted a response to. And I think he asked me a second time, well, are you, are you scared? And I didn't answer him again. And I think he asked me a third time. He's like, are you scared? And I think I said, or are you scared? Are you nervous? And I, and whatever it was, I said, yes. And, and he was, you know, not happy that I admitted it. And everyone was like, Todd, what, you don't ever admit that to the coach that you're scared or nervous, you know? And it was, I was just like, well, it's obvious that I am. I mean, that's why he pulled me out of the game. Um, and so I think I had to just rebuild my confidence in, in practice. But then, you know, when you're with the Nets and you're, you're a starter, 
and you know we jumped out to a you know a 10 and 0 record um you know you start to believe uh, that you belong and then uh and then you know we we jump out to an early lead in the east and we're starting to get some national attention and slam magazine wants to put us on on the cover so so slam magazine shows up for a a photo shoot and I get word that the, the starters are going to be on the cover. So I'm, I'm ready in my uniform and it's me and Carrie Kittles and Jason Kidd and Van Horn and Kenyon Martin. And, um, and then I get it, you know, I buy five copies for everybody and then I'm reading like the next issue and in the editor's note, like, you know, letters to the editor, some fan writes in like, Hey, what the hell was McCulloch doing on the last cover of slam magazine? And the editor's response is, yeah, we're trying to figure that one out ourselves. And I'm like, you see where this complex comes from? It's not just me. Um, you know, so I, you know, I always, I felt like I had a bit of an inferiority complex and, but Jason Kidd believed in me and he just, uh, he would always build me up and, you know, was a great leader and uh, led by example and, and just talked about, Hey guys, you know, I think it was a playoff game. Guys, we're going to win this game. And we're going to do it without me scoring a point. I'm just going to feed you. You guys get ready. I'm, I'm passing everything. And we would we would do our, our pregame warm-ups. And the coach would say, okay, dribble up the court with your strong hand. So everybody put the ball in the right hand. All right, this time, guys, put the ball in your weak hand. And everybody would put the ball in their left hand, except Jason Kidd would just let the ball bounce in front of him and refuse to touch him. Like, Jason, what are you doing? He's like, I don't have a weak hand, coach. I can't do this drill. I don't have a weak hand. And it was just that <laughs> confidence in him being as good with his left and his right um, and us just needing to be ready because he believed in all of us and he wanted to help us all have um, success. And so, um, so that was a pretty, pretty special team. I mean, it was just, you know, seeing Kerry Kittles and, and, you know, Lucius Harris and Kenya Martin get out on the wing and catch an alley-oop from Jay Kidd. And I would just, you know, stand back and watch it all happen was, uh, you know, very, very cool, very fun team to be, uh, to be a part of good chemistry. And I'm just like, you know, just from the sports psychology side of things and, you know, ourselves, both Corbett and I still coaching the game and especially with way younger and less talented people than yourself. But just people make assumptions that, oh, well, you know, NBA players like they don't deal with these things, sort of, the you know, the mental side of the of the game. And and it happens. Right. You know, you have these peaks and valleys and these moments where if you are sort of a fringe player, then you feel like you got to prove yourself and who's watching and just really interesting insight um, from your own kind of mental perspective and, and really appreciate you sharing that stuff. Um, Cause I don't, I think it'd be easy to just have that bravado and be like, Oh, you know, it was no problem. And, but I think to, to, to be open and honest about that is, is super important. So thanks. Oh, you're, uh, you're welcome. It's the, it's the truth. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it was always great to have people that believed in me. And then I, I believed that they believed in me and I, I never wanted to let any of them down. So if they saw something in me then I wanted to try and get the most out of what they, what they thought I could be. So I, uh, you know, was in that, uh, that year with the nets that, uh, Jordan decided to, um, come back for, um, his, he had retired twice already. And it was just before I joined the NBA and I was really sort of bummed that, uh, that, you know, history had it that as soon as I got in the NBA, you know, Jordan is out and I missed my opportunity to play against him. And fortunately, you know, three years later, I'm now a starter with the Nets and Jordan has decided to come out of retirement a second time and uh, play with the Wizards team that he was part owner of. And it just so happened that the first game that he ever played in a Wizards uniform was an exhibition game against us in Greenville, South Carolina. And I was so excited to actually get to play um, against Jordan on the same court. And I couldn't take my pregame nap because I was so excited. It just felt like a little little kid. 
And the PR director uh, gave me the microphone and said, hey, just address the crowd before and thank them for coming up, whatever you want to say. And I knew there was a lot of energy in the building and it was a packed house. And, uh, you know, we were as excited, at least I was, as, as anybody. And uh, so I said, hey, guys, thanks for coming out and supporting NBA basketball. Um, two very good teams are going to be battling tonight. And one very special player you're going to see tonight who I believe is making their first appearance. I, I, I assume that Jordan, with it being a non-NBA city and a, pre- a preseason city, that Jordan probably hadn't played there before. And uh, so then I was uh, sort of alluding to you know, talking about this very special player that they're all excited to see. And then I said, hey, you know, I had a chance to walk around town a little bit. Uh, my first time in town. Hope you enjoy the game. You know, meaning I am the player that you're all going to get treated uh, to see tonight. That I'm very special, and you're all going to see me do great things. And just trying to be, you know, maybe down, you know, a uh, little Canadian humor. And and I don't, you don't know if that stuff hits or not. And then Jordan walks up at the jump circle, center jump. He's like, I like that. That was funny. I'm like, holy smackers! Jordan just complimented me. Thinks I'm funny. This is cool. And I went on to have like the best game of my life. Not in terms of numbers, but. I was hitting fadeaways from the baseline because I was feeling eight feet tall and unstoppable. And we won the game. And after the game, a reporter came up and said, Hey, uh, uh, Jay kid just said, you're the best center he's ever played with. And I laughed. I thought it was a joke. Like I was getting punked. I'm like, what did you just say? And, and I'm thinking like, who did Jason kid play with? If I'm, did he have no centers ever? How could I be the best player he's ever played with? Is he a rookie? Uh, but it was just that type of leadership where I think he could see, you know, potential in me. And I was feeling no pain playing against Jordan was so excited that I, I just tried to ride that, uh, that momentum. Mm -hmm. And it it turned out to be a pretty special net season. Good lad clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the lower mainland. The owner Shane Meyer has worked hard to create a personal experience offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C-Bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in-store, if you mention a Hoops Journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. And then just curious, when did you, when did you officially retire from Canada basketball? Were you still going back and forth or was that Olympic year um, kind of after you decided you were done or did you go back after that? Cause I mean, you played almost a hundred games for Canada. Yeah, I think I I think I played another uh, season or two, and then then my foot problems uh, started. So I, I played up until I couldn't. So I, um, you know, after that net season when we made it to the finals, uh, that off season, I I'm pretty sure I played for Team Canada. Uh, you know, I, I think I well, I know I know if I could have played for Canada, I would have. And so uh, no, 
I don't know if I played that summer or not, mm-hmm. but I got traded back to the Sixers, and then my foot problem started, um, and then I was never able to play um, for Team Canada again. So I, I wanted to, you know, help them try and qualify for the 2004 Olympics, and you know, wanted to play every summer that I possibly could, you know, with those with those guys. But that was that was uh, towards the end of it. Yeah, I was doing I was doing a little just a little research about you know your your foot issue and stuff, and man, that looked like it was. I mean, obviously it was painful and like, you know, but like, you know, just maybe just touch on if it's okay, if you're okay with it, just talk about that, how tough that transition was to kind of coming to the realization that, you know, you weren't going to be able to kind of, I mean, everybody that plays basketball at some point, usually, you know, it's physically something comes to you where you're like, all right, I've got to sort of slow it down a little bit, but you know, just to kind of sort of still be involved in the game and be really, really heavy into it and thinking, you know, you've got years left to play and all, and these issues start to arise. That must've been, you know, very tough to deal with. Yeah, it was, it was really, really hard. I mean, I was just, uh, you know, we've talked a lot tonight about uh, confidence and now, now I think I, I have it and I've, I feel like, you know, every, every player on a team is important. And so, you know, I know that the Sixers would have gone to the finals without me in 2001, but I still felt a part of the team and you train and you practice and maybe you help those guys get better and you play a little bit. Um, but then, you know, if you're, you know, you're a starter with the Nets and that team has success and you make it to the finals and I start to feel a little bit more ownership, I think, and feeling like, okay, um, you know, I can be a starter on a team that, that can, you know, win the Eastern conference, uh, uh, finals. And so I was really starting to, you know, believe in myself as a player, um, and then got traded back to the Sixers and was kind of excited to, uh, you know, show the, the fans in Philly what I'd learned and, and, you know, building on my confidence. And, and then that's when my, my problem started. And so just as I'm feeling confident as a player, uh, my body is, is giving up on me. And so, um, and it was, you know, not the typical injury and not the typical, uh, cast or surgery where you say, you know, that you're out for, nine months, four months, you know, broken this, there was just no telling, you know, how long I would be sidelined for, you know, how do you fix these nerve issues? So there was just a lot of questions and, um, a lot of, I was just, uh, you know, confused about, um, um, you know, what, what the future held just as I was starting to, you know, get my feet under me, I, my feet were not uh, responding the way that I, I needed them to. And so that was a very difficult time. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was tough. Everything I won't, you know, I wouldn't say everything had come easily. I had to work for everything. Um, but it seemed like if, if I put the work in, um, I had success, you know, whether it was in, in high school or college and making it to the tournament or being drafted and then, you know, playing well in the NBA things said, uh, you know, I was able to persevere and this was something that was just out of my control. And I, I couldn't will my, uh, my feet to, to, uh, react the way that I wanted them to. And so it was, uh, you know, it was really, it was devastating emotionally and it was just hard to, to wrap my head around, um, why it was happening at uh, such a crucial time in my, in my young career. And so I'm um, looking back, I'm glad that I had, uh, the years that I did and that we had the success that we did in, in my short window and um, would have been nice to uh, to have won uh, one of those and to be an NBA champion. But I know we I know we did the best we could and, and uh, it was sure a fun ride to, to get to that big stage. Yeah, that's you know, it's it's interesting just listening to you talk about it's almost like you duplicated your time at Washington, you know, going from, you know, falling on your head 
because he couldn't reach down to tie up a shoe or whatever. And then like redshirting to being a leading scorer, rebounding, you know, pushing, pushing a tournament run. And then almost the same thing happened. You start off a little bit slower, maybe not the minutes you want with Philly. And then you kind of keep me, keep moving. And I think a lot of people really overlook, I mean, I, I played five years of university. It was nothing, you know, even close to what you did, but like you invest so much time and energy into a sport, but then it becomes your job. And I'm like, listening to you talk and I'm just thinking if someone just rolled in to me tomorrow and just said hey uh, you no longer can you know teach and coach uh, we're going to take that away from you I'm like well what you know like that's it's a tough thing to to, you know and I I think sometimes people just assume because you're playing professional sports and yeah you're getting paid well and you get to you know Bruce Bowen gets to sleep on your pullout or whatever like that it that it's you know it's it's just easy when it comes to an end right and I think it's important for I don't know, just people to hear and realize that like it's it's tough and, and and to deal with a health issue, it's tough. So then how do you what's the next step? You mentioned something about radio, like how much time did it take you to sort of just figure out, OK, what's my next step going forward with me and, and, and my family and, and what I want to continue to do? Because, I mean, you're still young now, but even then you're young, even younger, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll. um I'll, I'm going to touch on that radio thing, but just to your to your point, I'm I'm a proud friend of Ed Robertson's of the the Bare Naked Ladies, and we have a pinball connection, and that's how we that's how we met. And so he said something to that effect, and just you know how how devastating it must have been to you know have that sport taken away. That 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 was something that I was good at, that I identified with, and he was just trying to put in perspective, like what if music got taken away from me? What if I couldn't you know pick up the guitar and and play? And so he just kind of put himself in those shoes, and it kind of you know it kind of put things in perspective that he was right that it was very difficult for me to you know i never really felt like basketball uh, defined me and i i really didn't realize you know how big a part of my identity and and who i was i always thought that you know i'm other things i'm not just a basketball player but then when the game is sort of taken away from you and you don't leave on your own terms um it turned out that the game was you know way more a part of me and and interwoven into my my dna than i than i realized and it's been you know it's been a very difficult uh transition and it took time and i think i was um you know the sixers you know i feel like they you know, helped save me in the sense that I was in a very, you know, a bad place uh, emotionally. I was confused. And at that point, if I can't um, play on the court the way that my contract says, then then basically I'm not a part of the team anymore. Um, and I don't know, you know, where I would have ended up or what I would have done. And fortunately, the, the GM said, hey, Todd, what, what do you think about staying on with this uh, franchise and being our, our, uh, our color analyst and work with um, – you know, uh, work with Tom McGinnis, our play-by-play announcer. And I, I think I wasn't in any headspace to want to do anything. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of the Sixers family and I knew how important they were to me. And so I took it. And even though I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I wanted to talk. I didn't feel like I had a lot of joy. Um, I knew that it was the right decision to, to cling on to this family any way I could. Um, and so I think they kind of gave me a bit of a tryout. Um, and fortunately, it was uh, Sixers versus Nets. And so it was a Sixers team that I was still a member of. 
I knew the guys really well, and I could provide some insight into um, you know the kind of players they were. And then they're taking on the Nets, a team that I had just been on the previous season, and I still knew those guys well. Um, and I think that was sort of my tryout couldn't have been more ideal in terms of me adding some insight to the two teams that were playing. And I think they sort of felt like, okay, you know, he can he can do this. And so uh, so it really uh, was a good headspace for me. I would spend you know most of the day really you know depressed and down. Um, and then come game time, I was able to kind of check out and, and get back into the game and sort of rediscover a love for it and and realize that if I can't play, uh, then the next best thing is to is to be a part of this broadcast team and to be uh, still you know a teammate with these guys and uh, and become start a new family with the broadcasters and the TV guys and the producers um, and just you know had a lot of fun on the um, on the radio. I mean, uh, I think. Uh, Yao Ming, we were, you know, we used to be courtside and Yao Ming at seven, six ran by us with these just big tree trunk legs. And my radio partner said, Todd, look at his legs. I'm like, yeah, Tom, those are huge legs. And I said, Tom, you've seen a Christmas story, right? I mean, you guys have seen the movie, right? Am I, am I wrong? Oh, of course. Okay. Of course. That's what I was, that's what I was expecting. I was expecting him to say, yeah, of course, Todd. And he says, no, I haven't seen it. And that just took me, you know, you're not supposed to have dead air on the radio. I mean, we can try it right now. See, it's weird. You don't have, you don't want dead air on the radio. So I'm, I'm just, I'm shell shocked that he could say no to that question. And I don't even know what to say. And so it's dead air. And so he says, okay, Todd, what, what's your point? What, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, in the movie, Tom, there's the leg lamp. And if it was modeled after Yao Ming's leg dimensions, it'd be a really big leg lamp. And he's like, all right, buddy, can we get back to the game? We got an NBA game going here, you know? And I'm I'm like, you know, you don't hear the audience. You don't hear the crowd. It's just out there. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get fired. Like, I am going to get fired from this job that I love. And my buddy texted me. He said I almost drove off the road. That was so funny because I think everybody at home had seen the movie and they knew what I was talking about, but I didn't know that they knew that. Um, so Tom would say like, hey, the Sixers had a tough quarter and all they could muster was six points. Oh, that's all they could muster. And now they need to catch up. Oh, condiment humor. That's great. <laughs> so I, I just tried to amuse myself a little, little bit and. Tom would say, uh, the, uh, the Sixers came back in that quarter, and now it's a whole new world. I'd say, a whole new world, a new beginning. So I would just break into song and, um, you know, just try. I was I was just in a, you know, weird, weird headspace. And uh, I think at one point, you know, Tom's like, Todd, you've, you've had to guard Shaq. What's that like? You know, it's pretty tough to stop him when he gets it in the block. And I said something like, yeah, when, when Shaq gets into his pleasure area, he's tough to stop. I'm like. What am I talking about? That is not a basketball term. Um, you know, so I had to I had to focus and you know try and try and get better at my at my craft. And Sean Bradley fell down, but he kind of he's seven six, so he kind of folded over slowly, like fell to his knees and then <laughs> fell to his hands and then fell down in a prone position. He's like, Todd, did you see? Did you see Sean Bradley fall? I'm like, yeah, it was a three part miniseries, I think, Tom, before he <laughs> fell down. And then uh, Karan Butler hit a shot, and he's like, Todd, what do you think of that shot by Karan Butler? It was the butler in the key with a floater. Oh. Wow. So we just uh, – and then we, then we had some shot clock problems, and we tried to talk it out. And, Todd, we're having some intermittent shot clock problems, and intermittent made me think of the weather reports. So I'm like, yeah, Todd, we've got a high of 24 and a low of zero. So what did I, this guy uh, think you know, of I you? Just did he to... just let you do your thing, or did he just roll uh, his eyes yeah, at you? I, I... 
I, I think um, it was good. It was good. It was, uh, you yeah. know, I needed to be more professional at times, and I may have been a little, <laughs> a little, may, I should have probably taken a little more more seriously. But I think as the years rolled on, I started to, to you know, take it a little more seriously. And um, so I was just, uh, I was a little bit off the uh, off the wall. But I think, you know, I, he was amazing at what he did and was just one of the best uh, voices in all of the NBA. And then I, I was just trying to throw some things in there. And uh, I think he got used to some of my off the wall comments after after a while so we we had a really good time together and um he was he's one of the best in the game he's still still killing it so i love listening to him you probably started improving because you were drinking your oval team um that's why you got a little bit better right no yeah that's right i i, I remember to drink my my oval team yep you don't want to you don't want to shoot your eye out <laughs> did you so did you like at least make him watch the movie and then talk about it after or did it would did this never come up again um, I don't, I don't think it came up again. And, um, wow. you know, you remember when the kid got his, you remember when the kid got his tongue stuck to the, to the oh, pole? Do you remember that? Of course. My, uh, I've seen it 300 times this movie. I love it. My childhood dog chainsaw got his tongue stuck to a stop sign pole when I was walking him in Winnipeg and I couldn't go back home until the dog did his business. And so I'm tugging at the leash and he's not, he's not moving. I look and he's got his tongue stuck to the pole and I'm like, what are you doing? And so I had to yank his, uh, I had to yank his tongue off there so we could go back in the house and uh, and not freeze to death and and then I, that story came out somehow and um, I think it was Ernie Ernie Johnson I think the you know the one from you know TBS or TNT with uh, Shaq and yeah. and Kenny and Charles and and right before the NBA Finals I think I'm about to go up against Shaq and we're walking in together into the tunnel he's like hey Todd how's your how's your dog chainsaw doing I'm like you're gonna bring up my dead childhood dog before I face Shaq thank you he's like oh I'm sorry. I didn't know. I'm like, Shaq is going to kill me no matter what. And I'm over it. I'm just busting your chops. That was a long time ago, but he, he had just heard the story and thought maybe it was my current dog that I had, that got his tongue stuck to a pole. So, you know, growing up in Winnipeg, that stuff's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) And did you say the dog name was Chainsaw? Yeah. Chainsaw. He was a Yorkshire Terrier and we, uh, we bought him and he went nameless for six months because my mom and dad and brother would like a name and I wouldn't like it. And then me and my mom and dad would like a name and my brother wouldn't like it. And so we always, I, every name got nixed and vetoed. And for six months he was nameless. He was just dog. Uh, there's a McCulloch brand chainsaw and, uh, we left somewhere, put him in the laundry room and he'd shoot up the baseboards cause he was pissed. And, uh, my dad said, it looked like he took a chainsaw to it. Um, and then it was like, all right, everyone agrees it's chainsaw. So, uh, Chainsaw, the uh, interesting name for a Yorkshire Terrier, for sure. <laughs> so good. Thank you. The, the great reflection and, you know, just transitioning to that and, you know, the next phase of your life. And, you know, that's uh, it's good stuff. It's good insight. And I've, I've always personally just wondered kind of how that worked for you. And just to hear that side of it is important, I think, because um, it's, you know, it's still part of your journey and your journey's still going. Um, before we move to the lightning round, is there a story you feel like you've left out or uh, some a shout out to someone? I think I... Um... I think I got most of them. Um, uh, you know, love plebeian teammates with Takema uh, Mutombo, Pondano Mukama, Dikanjar, Jacqueline Mutombo. He was one of my one of my favorite teammates, just a class act, actually, and yeah. somebody that I learned a lot from. So, yeah, I was going to actually ask you. Um, I listened to the uh, Knuckleheads podcast with him, and just what an amazing human being! You just it must have been so great to just work alongside with him and like just such a stand-up guy great sense of humor 
um, so well-rounded. Like you must have just soaked it all in from him. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't do that. Yeah, no, he was such a great teammate, and he was, you know, so always so jovial um, and so professional. I mean, he was always taking care of his body, sort of pre. You know, it was a reason why he was able to uh, to play so so long, and he would, you know, ice down his knees and ankles even if he didn't need to, and uh, he just really preserved himself. And we used to we used to bust his chops about his age and that his birth certificate was wrong and that he was actually, you know, way older than what he'd what he'd say, and and he just took everything, <laughs> you know, with such a such a good sense of humor, and he. Was was just such a such a great role model and did so many things you know with uh, you know ho- you know building a hospital in his in his homeland and just a, just a great human being and made his teammates better and, and made the community around him better so he was such a, a great ambassador for our for our franchise and you know he blocked so many of my shots so so many so I think he makes you better as a player uh, just trying to uh, you know just trying to you know, find a way to score on him, which was very hard to do. And Iverson, I think one time he went up and I thought he was going to bring it down and do like a up and under. And then he ended up just going straight up and and dunking it on me. And he's like, yeah, you didn't know that I could do that. I'm like, well, I knew you could do that in your Georgetown days, but uh, he just, he still had those, those springs. So every day of practice was fun. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you for all those great stories. But truly, you know, what what do you think about ketchup on macaroni? Awful. That's just awful. Who who does that? Why would you why would you ruin perfectly good macaroni? I mean, there's plenty of things for ketchup, right? Ketchup chips, you know, French fries, lots of things. But macaroni, no, keep that stuff away. That's that's awful. I wouldn't. I don't allow that in this family. I mean, ketchup for everything but that. Are you are you a ketchup macaroni guy? Is that do you do that? I'm I'm giving you can't see it because there's no but I'm giving you the Matumbo finger wave right now no 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 there's I don't there's no ketchup by nobody yeah okay yeah see I mean some of your people some of your guests say yes to that do they do they really yes yes they have problems yeah that's no yeah they need help that is they need help deep dark rooted issues yes no I I think there's more to it the ketchup is a mask for something obviously right yeah, there's a time and a place for ketchup, and uh, tomatoes suck. I mean, we need tomatoes to get to ketchup. Um, I like all sorts of tomato products, but tomatoes you can keep. I don't want those on my burger or anywhere else. Really? Nasty. Yeah, like my dad will eat them like an apple. But uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll use it, it, it. Tomato soup is awesome, all that stuff, but no, not tomatoes. Bad texture, bad texture. Yeah, it's def- there's definitely a texture issue there. You're, yeah, I'll give you that. Who's been the most important person or people in your life? Uh, my wife. Uh, we've been together a long time. I think uh, my sophomore year in college, and um, I think I had $6 between two bank accounts, and so it's nice to know <laughs> that she was with me for for me, you know, and, and uh, we went on a couple of dates, and she talked to her sister, and she's like, oh, he's a basketball player. You got to you got to watch out for the basketball players. They're players. And she's like, ah, been on a couple of dates with them. I don't think he's a player. I don't see it. So, um, so we've been together for a long time and we got two, uh, 
two wonderful kids. And we just, you know, we've been this whole journey we've been on um, together. And uh, the, the year of the Olympics was the year we got married. So we got married and then they had some training and then we had a break and then we had our honeymoon together. And then uh, we trained some more and then, you know, went to the Olympics and she was, she was there. And so, you know, we've been, been through a, a lot together, you know, having, um, you know, really having, I mean, when I graduated from the University of Washington, we went to see my folks on Vancouver Island and on our way back, you know, she's driving her car and I'm a passenger and the person at the border said, uh, where, where are you guys from? And my, my wife, girlfriend at the time said, uh, uh, from Seattle. Uh, how about your boyfriend? Where's he from? And I was like, uh, sir, I just graduated from the university of Washington. I moved out of the dorms. I just, uh, visited my parents on Vancouver Island. I don't live with them. The Sixers just drafted me, but I don't think they're planning on keeping me. Uh, and he's like, okay, buddy, hope you find a home. Hope it works out for you. So, uh, you know, there was just a lot of unknowns and, and, uh, we were, we were together, um, for it all. And I think we got that first, you know, I first showed up the Sixers and I think my first check was uh, $6,000 and we went to Ikea and bought a bunch of furniture that she put together with a Swiss army knife when I was on road trips. And we bought, uh, we weren't sure, you know, how long I was going to be in the NBA. So we thought if we, if we save as much as we can from these first two years, maybe we can get a down payment on a house. So let's, uh, let's get a refurbished microwave and a refurbished VCR and let's rent our furniture. And she said, I want a good set of knives. I don't want to get used knives. I'm like, okay, you can get a nice set of knives. Um, and so, you know, fast forward now future and, and, um, you know, we don't have refurbished knives and, or, or we have a brand new microwave. So, so we've just, we kind of been on this, uh, um, this, this pretty incredible ride together. And now, now we've uh, got two kids to come along on the, on the ride with us and, you know, try and, um, try and show them the way, uh, like the Mandalorian said, I know you don't know that yet, but this is the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome, man. You're and um, <laughs> did you end up staying up have you been I, staying I, I, up or have you been falling asleep uh i've been staying up i've been you know w- yeah. whether i need like a five-hour energy or I'll, I'll do what it takes to stay up but uh you know in terms of other people you know my my parents uh, uh my brother my um my mother unfortunately is no longer with us and uh my dad and my brother uh, are and and my my dad's just been the you know the greatest uh supporter and and you know he would go to work every day and as long as i was getting decent grades and uh, and working hard you know on the basketball court you know i think they were going to let me see where this dream took me and just really support me and so he would you know they'd come uh part of the reason i chose university of washington was uh, i knew they'd end up on vancouver island someday so they think they saw every home game and they were always here in, in person and he would you know he would always compliment me on the things i did well and you know never never dwell on any of the negatives. And, uh, then in my, uh, NBA career, you know, if it was, he would listen, um, to the, to the broadcast and then he would, uh, you know, leave me a voice message saying, Hey, you know, great, great job tonight. You know, this many points and this many assists and you did, you did great. And, uh, and then when I couldn't play anymore, I would, you know, I'd be on the radio and he would, leave me a voice message saying, Hey, you know, great broadcast tonight. I liked when you said this. So, whatever, whatever I was doing, you know, he's in my corner. And I think the, the coolest thing was to be able to share with him was with the, uh, the Nets in the Eastern conference finals against the Celtics. And 
uh, game three, we had blown a 21-point fourth-quarter lead, and Boston ended up coming back and beating us. And I think it seemed like the series had turned, at least for the Boston fans. I think they felt like uh, we'd let the series slip away. Uh, we, we didn't, and uh, we ended up tying it 2-2, going back to um, New Jersey, going up 3-2, and then going to Boston with a chance to clinch the East and go to the finals. And it had been a pretty raucous building in Game 3, and some of our family and friends that were there uh, felt a little uneasy exiting that building as a Nets fan. Uh, my dad had a ticket, and he's 6'6", and he kind of felt like he could handle himself, so he came. Uh, as far as I know, he's one of the only family members um, within the team that, that was in attendance, and we won the game, and there's you know great celebrations in the locker room, and champ the players are happy, the GM's happy, the owner's happy, the coach is happy. And I sort of mentioned, like, hey, uh, my dad's in the stands. Any chance he can fly back with us on the team plane? And they said, hell yeah, Sandy can fly with us. So on the flight back, it was the team and my dad. And, um, you know, he got to be a part of that and sit in my seat. And everybody's, you know, drinking champagne and, you know, just celebrating. So he got, he got to be a part of that, which was a pretty, pretty cool moment for, uh, for me. No doubt. That's special. Thanks for sharing that. Great stuff. If you are, I mean, you've mentioned, you know, you're on a smaller island, you're rolling around in the car. What's uh, what's bumping on your Spotify or your iTunes? Are you much of a music guy or is it like the uh, Andrew Mavis 2000 Sydney live CD that you're rocking still or what do you got? <laughs> um, yeah, so I um, on a nice day here, I will uh, get in my 1969 uh, Camaro convertible, um, lots of headroom with the top down. And the seat, the racks have been moved all the way back. So lots of leg room and it's just got an old CD player in it. So I've been, um, I've been buying greatest hits of some of my favorite bands. And so in there, I've got U2's greatest hits. I've got Bare Naked Ladies' greatest hits. I've got Collective Holtz, Collective Soul, uh, greatest hits. I have REM greatest hits. I have the Smashing Pumpkins greatest hits and I have Spirit of the West greatest hits. And so I'll, uh, I will, uh, scroll through those, and just play some of my favorite bands from my uh, from my youth and listen to theirs. And I just kind of cruise around the island and, and check out some of the coastal views uh, around the perimeter here. And so I feel like I'm, you know, I was born in 76, but, you know, driving a car from 69, playing some old tunes makes me uh, makes me feel a little dazed and confused. Nice. Yeah. Shotgun. Uh, no Nirvana, <laughs> eh? No Nirvana? Uh, I, I, like, uh, I like Nirvana. I don't, I mean, that was maybe yeah. the second uh, second CD I ever bought. Um, the first was Def yeah. Leppard, and then I think the second one was Nirvana, Nevermind. So I, I, do, uh, I do like them for sure. I like, like Pearl Jam a lot. Um, uh, U2 has always probably been my, uh, my favorite band and in philadelphia we had this you know big building that was only used for basketball on certain nights and on other nights there would be concerts and i i became friendly with sort of the the booking agent uh who would get the bands to come and so he would always let me know hey todd this band is coming to town uh are you interested in being a liaison and a representative for the sixers and present this band with jerseys that we've printed up with the band's names on them and then you could stay for the show and i said yes 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 to all of them and i got to meet some incredible acts and meet some really cool people and give them sixers jerseys and take in the show and 
then I saw on the schedule that uh, U2 was coming to play in our building, and I did not get the call. And I said to him, hey, I see uh, U2 is coming, and uh, where's the old uh, meet-and-greet invite for uh, Bono and the fellas? And they said, hey, man, it's U2. You know, you don't, it's like the Pope. You have a better chance of getting to the Pope than, than Bono. And I said, okay, well, can I at least come to the He's like, of course you can come to the concert. I'll get you tickets. So we got Jan and I uh, box seats, and we enjoyed the show immensely and sung along to everything and rocked out and drove home that night. And he called me and said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, I don't know. What, do you, what are we doing? He's like, well, you two said they had such a good time and the audience was uh, a great audience. So they're just going to do another show tomorrow night. And therefore, their schedule is wide open. So they have agreed to their meet and greet. And they've, they're allowing one sixer to be the liaison. We have uh, jerseys printed up for the band, you know, Bono and the Edge and the other fellas. Uh, we have watches to give them. Do you want to be that person? I said, yes, I do. Um, and so when they left the green room about to get on stage, uh, we kind of stopped them in the hallway, did a gift exchange, took a quick photo. And as we're staging, I'm standing next to Bono and I need to say something. I need to come up with something smart. And I don't know what to say because I'm awestruck and starstruck. And so I say, Bono. hey, um, yeah, you uh, you guys were awesome last night awesome and he's like oh you came to the show thanks man i appreciate that i'm like yeah you're awesome and then i didn't know what else to say so i i kind of shut up at that point uh and then he's you know walking on stage this was during the finals uh game one in la we won the halftime entertainment was a u2 concert in boston being piped into staples and he made the connection like hey on the night when we were the halftime entertainment you won you know a couple nights later when they weren't we lost we go hey you know what we're good luck for you guys when we play you win so as he goes off on stage, I go, okay, Bono, you keep playing and we'll keep winning, okay? And he's like, all right, man. I'm like, that's what I come up with? You keep playing and we'll keep winning. So that's that's the wise words I had for Bono. Um, and so I try and say stupid stuff to celebrities when I see them. So we were, um, we were on vacation and we're having dinner and a guy sits at the table next to me and I'm pretty sure it's John Elway and I've had a few drinks and no food in my stomach, not enough bread. And I say to the server, I was like, Hey, is that, is that John Elway right there? And he said, and this was the year that they won the Super Bowl with him as a GM, you know, a couple months, a couple of weeks after that. And he said, yeah, yeah. He checked in right after the Super Bowl victory. He's been in an excellent mood. And I said, yeah, I can imagine. Right. And so John Elway, you know, leaves the restaurant to go to the lobby, which I assume is, you know, a little potty break. And so no one at my table uh, is aware of his, you know, greatness uh, in the in the restaurant. So I'm like, you know what? I need a little bathroom break, but I'm not going to go right away because that's weird. I'm going to wait until he exits stage left and then I'm going to go. I uh, can't wait too long because then he'll be back. And so I give him a head start. I go in and he's at a urinal just finishing and I'm just starting. So you go the prerequisite math. Like you, I don't know if you're a math teacher, but there's like a distance. You, you at least half it, right? You don't go stand right next to someone in this room. So I, I half the distance and stand there starting to do what you do at a urinal, but not being able to, because I've got stage fright and I'm nervous. Um, and so he's now moved to the sink area away from me. He's washing his hands. Now it's my chance. So I go, Hey, uh, Hey, congratulations on winning the Super Bowl. And he goes, hey, thanks, man. That was a fun one. I'm just standing there going, yep, that was a fun one. That was a fun one. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to bother this man anymore. I followed him into the bathroom. I have congratulated him. And I have, um, you know, touched greatness without touching greatness. So I'm just, I'm at, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm good, right? Uh, and then he notices my, my size. Like I'm seven feet tall and it's noteworthy. And so he's, and I look like an athlete. 
um, even though, you know, what kind of athlete, I don't know. And he's like, hey, man, do you play any ball? And uh, when a football player asks you if you played ball, that means did you play football? And I look like a lineman. I go, I know I look like a lineman. No offense. Um, I used to be a nobody for the Sixers back in there. He's like, oh, that's great, man. That's great. So now I'm like, oh, now we're having a conversation. We're turn-taking. I started. <laughs> he asked me a question. We're now engaged. I can talk again. It's my turn. Um, and so he's about to leave now. He's got his hand on the door to leave. And I got to come strong. Like, it's my turn. He's invited me back in the conversation. And so I go, Okay. I'm proud of you guys. And he's like, all right, man, nice talk when he leaves. And I go, I'm proud of you guys. How stupid do you have to be to tell John Elway? I'm proud of you guys. I'm sure he sleeps better at night knowing that a stranger is proud of him. Um, you know, maybe he had a rough day on vacation and didn't see enough dolphins on a snorkel cruise. So I come home and I tell my buddy Dawson, I'm like, Hey, I'm an idiot. And I told John Elway, I'm proud of you guys. And, and we're golfing and I hit a nice putt. And he goes, nice putt. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, John Elway. And I was like, oh, that makes me feel good. So he's a surgeon. He tells the surgical team, hey, my buddy's an idiot. He said, I'm proud of you. And at the end of the surgery, they're like, Dr. Dawson, I'm proud of you, John Elway. And it kind of became this little thing. And so my buddy asked me to speak at Microsoft. And and I talked to these people at Microsoft. And I, I finished with that story. I'm like, you here at Microsoft, if you're proud of a team member, I want you to turn to that person and say, I'm proud of you, John Elway. And they all did it. They said, I'm like, this is crazy that the stupid thing that I said in the bathroom, now these Microsoft people are saying it to each other. And apparently, you know, over the next few months in the halls, people were like, I'm proud of you, John Elway. Uh, my kids say it to me. It's a little thing in our group of friends. So if you want to pass that on to your your students, your team, you know, you, you know, one of your teammates, one of your players makes a good play. I want you to say, I'm proud of you, John Elway. Um, I'm going to text you a logo that my friend, Dr. Dawson, uh, drew up that just kind of sums up my idiocy and my words, and then you'll have a picture to go along with it. So uh, I don't want to mess up this recording, but when there's time, I'll send it to you, and you'll have a you'll have a visual. Excellent. I look forward to. So uh, I don't I don't know what celebrity I'm going to meet next and say stupid stuff to. I always say stupid stuff to celebrities because I don't know what to say, but I feel the need to say something. So that's when when people say stupid stuff to me, I just kind of I just let it ride because I've been there, man. Like I'm in a cafeteria and somebody turns around and sees me and goes, "You should wear a cowbell so you don't sneak up on people." I'm like, "Oh, that's nice." <laughs> and then I was at Safeway and this old guy turned around and saw me and goes, whoa, you must have been an interesting baby. And I'm just like, well, I don't know how interesting I was. I didn't come out smoking a cigar going, ha, ha, I am the most interesting baby in the world. I usually drink this, <laughs> but now I drink formula. He is the most interesting baby in the world. So people say dumb stuff. And... Was that you just trying to justify your your own stupid comments? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a so, there's a woman who yeah. worked for the Sixers and her name was Bree. And I met her. I'm like, your name's a cheese. And then she looked at me with that look <laughs> like you're the first. You think you're so smart. And I realized like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. what that's how I feel when people go, hey, how tall are you? How big is your bed? What kind of car do you drive? Do you play basketball? How's the weather up there? So people. Yeah, somebody said that to me in uh, in high school. I like think we just won the provincial championships and we were celebrating. And this woman came up to me and she's like, hey, do you play basketball? And I was like, do you play mini golf? And she got really mad at me. Like she was going to slap me. And um, <laughs> I heard Bill Winnington used to tell people, people like, oh, I thought I was tall. He's like, I thought I was ugly. <laughs> That's, I heard that was Bill Winnington's line. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. What's the greatest chip? 
I, I think it's a cool ranch. I, I think it's a Doritos cool ranch. It's just such a such a unique flavor. Uh, a local brewery here, they make burritos where they thirty five percent of the mash is cool ranch chips, and it tastes like a Doritos beer, and that's awesome. Um, but you know, sometimes I think mixing beer and chips is it's called Bainbridge Brewing. And they there was a festival called Strange Brew, and you were supposed to bring something nice. unique or different. And they were they were known as the company that would bring uh, burritos, Doritos, Cool Ranch flavored, and that was a big hit. And so um, they're always doing cool stuff. Um, so that's my chip. I'd heard on a previous episode that you said that there's now ketchup flavored Doritos. Is that true? It's a hundred percent true. Are they as good as I imagine? Like, are they are they the best thing ever? Because ketchup chips are incredible, and whenever I go to Canada, I get ketchup chips and Wonder Bars and um, and Coffee Crisps and Slurpees. I am not going to say anything, but I'm going to get your mailing address, and they will be at your door. Okay. I uh, I um, do. You, do you have time for one more story, or are we running out of tape? Oh no, absolutely. I just wanted you okay. to know like yeah, I will send you some ketchup what? chips. Al Whitley got I, Al Whitley got two bags of ketchup chips sent to uh to oh. uh, Dallas, so we'll, well make that happen. That's that's awesome. It just when you said the address, uh it made me think of, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, this this hoops journey. Um, you know, yeah. you you it's a little bit like, you know, I, my kids grow like four inches a year and I, you know, I see them grow every day and maybe it's just so incremental that I don't really notice it. And then someone who hasn't seen them in years is like, wow, your kids are, have sprouted and they're tall. And so you see that development and, and growth and sometimes you're just so close to it. But I, you know, remembering back to, I don't know, I might've been a grade 11 student in, uh, I think I was, and I was in Winnipeg. And of course the NBA is, you know, just in the U S at that time. Uh, and there was an exhibition game in Winnipeg and the, um, the Golden State Warriors, I think, are playing at the Atlanta Hawks. And, um, you know, through a, a connection with the national team, I got uh, tickets, really good tickets for me and a couple buddies right behind Golden State's bench. And I was so excited to have NBA basketball uh, in Winnipeg. And I'm sitting there with amazing seats. And, you know, this, uh, you know, Canada basketball representative said, hey, if you have a chance, uh, you know, uh, tap the shoulder of Donnie Nelson Jr. and thank him because these tickets came from him. And uh, so I said, I will do it. If I get a chance, I'll do it. And so I had a chance to get his attention. I said, hey, hey, Donnie, I just want to thank you so much for those tickets. I heard that you supplied them, and this has been a night I'll never forget. And he said, that's great. You want to come back and meet the fellas? Do you want to come in the locker room? And I said, yes, I do. Actually, I, I would like to. So we go in the locker room, and I'm floating I can't feel my face. Uh, you know, Don Nelson Sr. takes off his uh, Golden State Warriors T-shirt, undershirt, and it's it's sweaty. And he throws it out. I keep it uh, forever. Uh, and then the team were telling me to, to wash it because they said he was a sweater. Uh, so I made sure to wash it. And <laughs> I go and I get autographs from Tim Hardaway and Chris Mullen and Billy Owens and Tyrone Hill. And I'm freaking out. You know, this assistant coach, uh, Don Nelson Jr., is taking me around to meet each one of these players and and sign my little piece of paper. And uh, one of them is like, man, this city sucks, man. How do I how do I get out of here? I'm like, oh, the, the airport's like 15 minutes away. You'll be out of here in no time. Uh, and um, <laughs> Don Nelson Jr., as I'm leaving, says, hey, Todd, you know, uh, you know, thanks for supporting uh, the team. And uh, what size shoe do you wear? And I, I think I was 16 or 17 years of age and my shoe size had gone up with my age. And so I was like, oh, I, I wear a size 16. And he's like, okay, uh, uh, why don't you write down your address and I'll send you some shoes. And I said, Donnie, I'd like to, 
but I don't know where I live right now. I cannot think of my address. I am too excited to know where I live. And he said, okay, that's great. Um, thank you for your excitement. Uh, here is my business card. At some point, you will remember when you live. Maybe when you get home, you'll you'll see the numbers on the house. But to drop me a line, and if you can you can think of where you live, I will send you some shoes. Uh, and sure enough, you know, I got home and I remembered where I lived. And I reached out to Donnie, and he sent me a pair of uh, size size six, uh, 16 shoes. And five years, six years later, I'm teammates with Tyrone Hill and Billy Owens in the locker room. And I was like, I got your guys' autographs when I was a junior in high school. Um, and then I got to see you know Donnie Nelson when we played the Mavericks and thank him for, I don't know, exposing me to the NBA and making me think that I could be a part of it. And so it's just this uh, – you know, little little Winnipeg kid ends up uh, in the NBA, and it's through you know experiences like that. I think. <laughs> oh my goodness! Forget. <laughs> was there any other time you forgot where you'd lived, or was that the only uh, time? I had a few beers one night, and I think I forgot forgot where I lived, and uh, ended up in a snowbank. But uh, but uh, you know, I, I survived. I, I made it out, and it reminds me of my my friend Paul. He got uh, he'd had a few too many and ended up in a snowbank. And the police were nice enough to to warm him up in the back of a cop car. You know, with no you know no uh, no laws broken. They just wanted to make sure he didn't uh, freeze. And then he called his buddy to get a ride home and said, "I've been here for four quarters of an hour. You need to pick me up." So now that's a frame of time: four <laughs> quarters of an hour. <laughs> That's when you know you've had a good night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a couple more questions. So good, man. I'm loving it. Um, you touched on it a little bit, but Shaq, the greatest player you played against? Uh, yes, yes. The greatest player in, in a lot of ways. I mean, just uh, incredible strength and, um, you know, gamesmanship and well, just everything. I mean, he was so good on the court, so good off the court. And I forgot, I forgot a Shaq story. Um, we had lost to them, you know, we weren't very close in those four finals games. It was uh, a fairly one-sided uh, ordeal. And this was one of the games they had home, they had home court and they'd gone up to nothing and came back to New Jersey. And I think it was uh, game three in the tunnel and the valet is, has brought my Porsche. It was just like a 1996 uh, Porsche, nothing, nothing special. Uh, but I, I liked it a lot. And, it was kind of tight, kind of tight. And, and Shaq is uh, getting on the team bus and, and I, the valet has left the door open for me and I'm about to jump in and Shaq's like, Hey Todd, what are you doing? And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little starstruck, you know, even though Shaq and I are competing, he's on another level and, and I don't know what to say. And so I'm like, uh, Shaq, this is, this is my car. I'm, I'm going to get in my car and drive home. And I'm a comportionist and I can only get a portion of myself into it. He's like, that's not your car, Todd. Well, I made a mistake. I haven't bring your car around. And I didn't know what to say. I'm like, okay, bye Shaq. It's my car. And I drive home. And then the next night we, we take off jump center circle. And right before we jump, he leans over and goes, Hey man, be careful. And I'm like thinking like, be careful. Is he going to hit me? What, what do you mean? Be careful. He goes, be careful driving home in that little car. I don't want to see you get hurt. I'm like, man, you're a cool guy. So funny. Even in the finals. Um, so yeah, he was just uh it was just really fun to be out there and he was uh he could just he could go anywhere he wanted, you know. I'd never played against someone else that could just I mean I'm never I've never been a small person. Um I've been, you know, uh healthy and um not not strong, but I got some size. So guys couldn't really push me around, but Shaq, you know, guys would make a move and if you stood your ground, 
they would need to spin or counter or something or fade. Uh, but Shaq could just keep moving. He could just keep backing you down and you could push the refs, let you get away with a lot. They let you get away with, you know, a forearm and a two hand shove. And I would push and shove as hard as I could to try and stop his progress towards the rim. And he could just dribble you, just back you down, put you right under the rim, pin you, and then dunk on you. And there was really, uh, just really uh, made you feel pretty uh, inconsequential. Um, and so he was, he was uh, superhuman on, on the court, but couldn't have been more classy as an individual. Man, he was so dominant. It was absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, he was... Well, it would have been, I mean, he obviously had great success and, you know, with the Lakers and did great things. But if, you know, Penny and him sort of hung together to see what they would have done. But, man, I'm not sure many people realize, you know, you see his numbers, but the dominance was just that. I always think of that video. I think I saw it on like inside stuff where he's like literally break dancing on his head. I'm like, <laughs> you're not supposed to be able to do that. Like, you're you're not normal. Like, that is not. Yeah. You know, like you quit volleyball because he didn't want to dive and he can break dance like like a regular 5'11 break dancer. Like what? Yeah, he was uh, there was one play that kind of summed it up for me that we were playing two different games. And our game plan in this particular instance was for me to front check. So they had the ball on the sideline. Uh, he's on offense. I'm fronting him full front. And I don't know if it was uh, Derek Fisher inbounding. He threw the ball up so high over me that I knew there's no point in me jumping. Like I can't get it. And Shaq's not going to be able to get it. That ball has sailed out of bounds and I have done my job and I forced a turnover and I turned to watch the ball sail out of bounds and Shaq turned, jumped up, caught it at the top of the backboard and then alley-ooped it. And I'm like, see, I we're playing a different game. I saw that ball as out of bounds and he saw that as an opportunity and he just went up there and got it. And I just, uh, it was just, we were playing two different games and he would, uh, there's something that I wish I would have said. I had an opportunity in the podium to say something memorable and it didn't work. So now I'm going to do it now so that at least some people will hear what I was thinking later, what I thought of on the bus, like 10 minutes later, but so finals and they've got these podiums set up in the four corners. And this is the, this is the finals where I'm in the starting center for the nets. Korshak is the starting center for the Lakers and they'd had their press conference and they were trying to roast me saying, Shaq, uh, you know, this is the most one-sided center matchup in finals history. Todd is, you know, not even your, you're going to kill him and this and that. And Shaq kind of took the high road and he was, instead of trashing me, he, he was complimentary and he said, you know, Todd does this well. He keeps the ball high. He's got good footwork and he, he could have thrown me under the bus, but he didn't, he took the high road. And, and, um, and so they, you know, came to me with the same stuff saying, you know, this is the most lopsided matchup in center, you know, the, the center position of finals history. And if I had been a little quicker, I would have said something like, you know what? That might be true, but I think Shaq is okay. He's been working on his games, and I think he's going to be okay in this series. I think he'll surprise you a little bit. You know, it may not be as one-sided as you think. And of course, I didn't think about that until I was on the on the bus ride later. I thought that would be would have been quotable if I'd come up with that in the moment. So now you get it. Years, twenty years later, that's that's what you get. You Got to put some cheering sound in there. That's great. That's <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um this has been amazing uh before we let you go you know it, thank you so much but uh last question for you and it's always an interesting one to hear people's thoughts is if you could do it all again you would what if i could do it all again 
I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd change anything. I, I've heard you say this on your other episodes and I, you know, definitely my, you know, my, my foot issues have been, you know, they've changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and so there's a lot of days where I wish that that was different, that somehow, uh, I didn't have, uh, the foot problems that I have. And then I start thinking that you, you don't necessarily get the good without the bad. And so if that was the case, I wouldn't maybe live where I live. My kids wouldn't be who they are. My friends might not be who they are. Um, there's so many things that could be different and so many things in my life aside from the way my feet feel, um, are very, very good. And I wouldn't want to change anything to sort of disrupt that, uh, that butterfly effect. So I'm going to, I'm going to say, let's just roll with it. And I'm really, uh, thrilled and lucky to have the family that I have, you know, the extended family, the immediate family, um, support teammates, friends, the experiences, you know, short NBA career, but a, a memorable one, um, with, you know, incredible teammates and, um, great college experience and, you know, great high school teammates, great high school coaches, great provincial team. I, I wouldn't, uh, I, I can't look back and, and make changes cause it would mess up, uh, you know, the trajectory of my life. And hopefully there's some, some, uh, some good stuff ahead, seeing my, seeing my kids grow up and uh, seeing the kind of people that they uh, will continue to grow into. So well said, um, great reflection. And, uh, I hope you've enjoyed being on and, and going back. And I know you've probably had interviews since your careers ended and stuff, but, uh, like you said, like I said, Corbin and I were thrilled that, uh, you would, you were willing to come join us cause, um, you know, you're, we're only a year apart and obviously followed your story and, and we wish you nothing but continued success. I can't wait for, uh, that border to open up cause I'm definitely making my way down, um, <laughs> to see the games room and, um, and uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we you want to have the uh, the clown show of Mavis Scratchy and myself. I know I, you know we haven't fully met, but uh, you haven't seen the non podcast side of me. So um. I, I look I look forward to it. I look forward to it. We're gonna we're gonna have some fun and we're gonna play lots of games and we're gonna just uh, be be kids. So it's fun to you know be able to provide an environment for you know whether it's Johnny Lee or Jay Trano just to forget about. Uh, anything going on in the world and um you know for a time being and just be a be a kid again you know fire up the slurpee machine grab a slurpee uh, hit the silver ball around and just remember what it's like to be a kid so it's it's fun for me to some of my friends have some uh, some jobs that are kind of stressful and they can just you know show up here and we can uh, act like we're in college again for for a little bit so it's n- nice to provide a respite like that and i'm looking forward to showing you around the game room and and having some fun Awesome, man. Thank you so much. What an amazing episode. Uh, We're super grateful. All the best to you and your family um, as we move towards the holiday season. You know, stay tight. And um, once this pandemic sort of takes care of itself and everyone starts to do their job, then then we'll definitely be able to do that face to face. And um, you got cream soda in the Slurpee machine or I can I can you uh, you put your order in and I'll talk to my guy and I'll, I'll get it I've got a friend that uh, comes down from Edmonton for a pinball convention every year hey, he likes coke so I make sure to have uh, coke on the Slurpee machine when he comes to town so I do take requests if you give me enough of a heads up so this is enough of a heads up so thank you <laughs> love it and uh, ketchup chips will be delivered great episode Listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. That's one going to go back and just to relive all the amazing stories. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, uh, Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. Everyone take care, and we'll see you on the next episode.